Josh. And I am Alyssa. We back with a brand spanking new episode of When the Podcast Was on Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic. And boy, oh boy, do we have some of that. <laughs> in the Dresden file series by Jim Butcher. I'm an old long-time listener, reader, person. <laughs> and this is my first time through. And together, we slam our heads together, and once in a while, a good idea trickles out the ear hole. How you doing today, Ice? Doing good. Got a nice lot lot, lot of sleep last night for the Ooh. first time in a week or so. The girl. Awesome. Must be nice. I was on the other end of the spectrum, just tossing and turning, as they Ooh, say. That's no fun. But what can you do? Yeah, I had friends in town this weekend, so I worked, but we went out Friday night and Saturday night, so I didn't get much sleep this weekend. And then I'm off Monday, Tuesday, so I uh, had a delightful sleep last night. Took me some Z-Quil and passed the fuck out. <laughs> so you cheated. Oh, 100%. <laughs> performance-enhancing drugs. Yes, yeah, seriously. Sequel is a, definitely a sleep performance-enhancing drug. The greatest invention known to man. Pouring you to water. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Today we are recording on the spookiest of all the days. You got any plans for tonight or just you got uh, all your hollows out on the weenie weekend? Uh, my, if my friend feels up to it, we're going to go out tonight. I have to come up okay. with something else to wear. My <laughs> oh, nice. I can just pull things out of my closet. It's really sad, <laughs> but also really awesome. Oh, indeed. I have no plans on dressing up because I wasn't confirmed until last night mm -hmm. that I was going to have a couple of uh, kids, a couple of adults as well, the ones who created, birthed, and raised thus far. But also, <laughs> and far more importantly, the kids, because they're more fun than their lame-o parents. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, got a... Uh, some people coming over tonight. We're going to do some tricking, some treating, anything in right. between around these parts. Well, hey, you could always do what I did on Friday and go as a hockey player. It's super easy. <laughs> yeah, I was literally thinking, I, you know, one of the girls pressures me. I'll throw on a, a jersey of some sort. Mm -hmm. But I'm making them pizza. What else do they want? Come on. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Assuming the dough, the dough rises properly, which is the last which is always the fight. How cold is it down there? It's been so cold here. No, I don't live in the land of winter no i know but i mean it's still october but it was in the, it's been getting down to the 40s already the what's i had to put my heated mattress pad on my they bed have this week 40s weekend. now i didn't know they made those <laughs> yes unfortunately no nah, it's been fine i mean it's, it's relatively good. warm i'm running around as per usual so just because i was wondering if it would affect the bread rice yeah we got it's 80 right now oh my gosh yeah no it's that's nice. This is why people live in Southern California. I know. And yet, I mean, it's, it's 71 here. It's not like it's icy, but it gets, it's been getting colder, right? Planning on going norther than you. I know you are. Although I've been norther before, so. You've been norther. <laughs> so we're, we're going to be rebidding our shifts for next year. And so I'll know what my work schedule is for March to find out how many days I have oh, to take off to come up. And we have to find out how much tickets are. Yeah, no, for sure. We we're talking about trying to go to what is it called? Something con. I don't Something know. con. <laughs> There's a con in Seattle in March, and then we're trying to get our ducks in a row to get up there. So hopefully we can make that happen. The man, the myth, the legend, 
is going to be there. <laughs> this guy need this guy needs a dick mark. That's why it takes him so long to to write. He gets lost. I think but so. Once he has a dick mark, boy oh boy. <laughs> he did actually recently. He's got a counter on jim jim-butcher.com. Uh-huh. That says how far into the process he is. Oh, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, yeah. and he was 24%. And then like last week or two weeks ago, it ticked up to 26% done with Woo-hoo. 12 months. So Awesome. I mean, we've got a few more books to get through, so <laughs> timing should work out pretty well for us. Indeed. That's how we lined it up. We planned all that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Beyond that, you want to catch us up? Last week's was relatively short. This week wasn't too long either, but starting to pick up some steam in the novel. Definitely took a left turn in the middle there, where the focus of the story is great. Yeah, no, it was very, uh, again, you know, a lot of threads always in these novels, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's Sometimes it's interesting trying to figure out which is going to be the A and which is going to be the B plot as you go through. And um, we're still kind of figuring that out here, but we see, learn some good stuff. So how about you catch us up and I will take us off on a off on an adventure through chapter seven. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. All right. So at the beginning of this book, Harry witnesses his first warden execution. And he's informed by the gatekeeper through a note from Ebenezer that there is black magic afoot in the city of Chicago. We learn that over the last six months or so, Harry has been using his warden paycheck to build a mini Chicago in his lab. And we learn that the purpose of it is, is to be able to find magical goings on from a distance that would be more efficient and has potential to be more powerful, but it can also be much more dangerous. And he realizes that in order to start this search, he has to do ritual magic. And so he is planning on performing said ritual to be able to move along in this. Oh, and the other thing I just forgot, while he was driving home from the Wardening, his car was intentionally struck by another vehicle and he was pretty busted up from it we don't know who the striker was and it seems like it was a kind of crime of opportunity at that moment mm-hmm. i'm on chapter one which is a great place to be if you want to start a novel mm-hmm. but if you don't it is not the right place to be i am now Let's start at the very beginning Harry describes ritual magic, which is something we haven't seen a whole lot of, certainly not from Harry's perspective. We've seen him use a lot, you know, a lot of the similar tools and stuff that he uses here, but it's always, this is very different. This is like a four hour process. He definitely is taking a lot of time. The reason he's doing that is because like Lissy mentioned that the little Chicago table is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. He's been pouring tons and tons of power into it every night for months now and so it's just loaded with power and if something goes wrong it could literally blow up in his face so he's going to treat it like a ritual so that basically does a he cleanses his body his mind his spirit and he uses a bunch of props silver cup we've seen this with uh, potions before right where, where different items line up with the different senses and the spirit and the mind mm. and part of that he throws pictures of for heart. He puts pictures of his people, his parents, Susan, Murphy, Thomas, his pets, and after a hesitation, Michael and his family, which again is interesting based on our conversations the last couple of weeks, right? Where C, you know, think something 
see something. It's usually a reverse order of operations there. But he took a shower and meditated and did some incense and had candles, did all this. He put on his robe with a hood. He's got a white robe with a white hood. And that didn't make it into Yikes. Context matters. Focuses on his breathing. He slows his heart rate. Trucks off all of his worries and pains. Basically, you have to go into this spell fresh and clean and pure. And so he took these hours and hours of time and focus and effort. Silence and focus ruled. I was ready. And then the fucking phone rang about a foot from my ear. <laughs> Which is great. He says it's a foot from his ear, but he had, you know, takes some time before he picks it up. As it's ringing, his head starts pounding again. And he really feels more from that car crash, car crash cushion. Car cushion. The car cushion that he got earlier. My portmanteau was three words. Yours was only two, so... You get fewer, it's a small, lower degree of difficulty, but you got a higher score. So I think that <laughs> really just depends on what the judges are looking for. So four hours are wasted and his head hurts because of the ringing and the pounding because of the concussion. It's a stupid car crash, but then he tries to think positive because he read somewhere that it's important to do that in times of stress and frustration. So he picked up the phone and said, screw thinking positive <laughs> into the headset. And we get our reintroduction of Molly Carpenter, who we haven't seen since Brave Peril. No. Death Mask. Been only a couple novels. The last time we saw her, she was playing pranks on Sonya, having him dial silly phone numbers and do <laughs> accidentally prank call people. And now she's hammered and tatted up and seemingly in jail at this point, which is quite the off-camera development. She tells him that she's in jail, but she's only 17. So I, she lied to them or something's up. And you know, she, she, he says, we should call your parents. She says, no, we can't call them. And she's very worried about it. There's clearly tension there. And so she kind of puts him in a really tough place. It's just an uncomfortable situation for him, which makes sense. You know, she tells him that this is my only phone call. And he, he's like, I don't think that's how it works. But she basically wants him to come down there. And he gives her the option that, I'm going to come down and work with you here and try to get you out of this jam. But then I decide if we go to your parents or not. And that's kind of his price for helping her. And after a fashion, she agrees. She does a good job of the, he calls it wheedling, where she sounds vulnerable and hopeful and sad and desperate and sweet. Basically trying to manipulate him into coming down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she says the magic words that a pretty girl needs to say, and that is, I need your help. And he's basically all in at that point, no matter who it is. In this case, obviously, as Michael's daughter, you know, he'll go to hell and back for her. It has more significance with her saying it. For yeah, sure. for sure. And he obviously wants to get, I, I said her parents earlier, he does not want to get her parents involved. He wants to get her father involved. <laughs> 112%. But... She pleads with him, and like he says, he's a, he's a sucker for the damsel in distress, but, you know, again, like, the, it stands out that she has a problem with her parents, and, and he's, he wants, he's just, it's an already going to be a very difficult situation to navigate, so he gives her that price, and she agrees, and after he calls the cab, he's getting ready to go, he says, I, he tells his dog, I'm a sucker for a pretty face, 
and he after he goes and gets dressed, he comes out and Mouse is sitting by the door, patting his leash. He says, you ain't pretty, Furface. But he took him all the same. I love Mouse so much. He's a very good boy. Lots of people say so. He is. He's a very good boy. Uh, okay, so he ends up at the 18th district of the CPD near the once infamous Cabrini Green, which we were there last book with Sheila. The nasty hadn't left the city, of course, but it had been driven away from what had once been a stronghold of decay and despair. What was left behind wasn't the prettiest section of town, but it bore the quiet, steady signs of a place that had a passing acquaintance with law and order. And he talks about, on a good day, the neighborhood made you feel like there was hope for us as a species, that we could drive back the darkness with enough will and faith and help. I just feel like that's 100% Harry's MO, driving back the darkness with will and faith and hope. And not always succeeding, but doing your best and picking yourself up when you fall. Exactly. Not very, very much so. Yeah, that's good. Catch. And that was sort of my, pers- that was sort of like my takeaway from his description of the area. And so they get to the police station and it's just a little bit. I love the mouse interacting with people. Mouse presented his head to the cabbie while I pegged through the driver's window and got a smile and a polite scratching of the ears in reply. Mouse has better people skills than me. So as they're walking up the stairs to the police station, the hair on the back of my neck suddenly crawled. And as I looked up at the reflection in the glass doors as I approached them, a car had pulled up on the far side of the street behind me and was stopped directly under a no-parking sign. I saw a vague shadow inside the car, a white sedan I did not recognize, and which certainly wasn't the gray car that had run me off the road earlier. But my instincts told me I was being tailed by someone. You don't park illegally like that in front of the police station, no less just because you're bored. Mouse lets out a little bit of a grumble, and it made Terry more wary because Mouse rarely made a noise at all. And... When he did, it's usually because the bad folks are around. He never even made a peep when the mailman came by. So adding it up, someone from the nasty end of my side of the supernatural street was following me around town. Good grief. At least I usually know who I am pissing off and why. By the time an investigation gets to the point where I'm being followed, there's usually been at least one crime scene and maybe even a corpse or two. (laughs) And that's so true, though. There's always corpses. Mouse growls again, and he says, I see him. Easy, just keep walking. And then the door opens, and there's Molly. Since he'd seen her last, Molly had gotten all grown up. She strongly favored her mother, Charity. Both of them were tall for women, only an inch or two under six feet. Both of them blonde, fair, blue-eyed, and both of them built like the proverbial brick house, somehow managing to combine strength, grace, and beauty that showed as much in their bearing, expression, and movement as it did in their appearance. Charity was a rose wrought of stainless steel. And then he gets creepy. He describes her clothes. She's wearing some like gothy kind of look. And she's wearing a button that says Splattercon! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. It's misspelled if you don't include all three. Exactly. And her hair is half of it's bubblegum pink. The other half is sky blue. And she wore a lot of makeup. She had both sides of her nose pierced, her lower lip, her right eyebrow. And there was a bead of gold in the little dent just under her lower lip. There were miniature barbell-shaped bulges at the tips of her breasts where the thin fabric emphasized rather than concealed them. So you want something that's going to just ruin your life? Huh? I'm not just going to say never, but he almost exclusively refers to nipples as tips of her breasts. 
That's so it's just, it Which is like, fine if you're like, you know, it is a turn of phrase and it, it whatever, yeah. but like, always. <laughs> if you're like, you know, if, if you, you just said nipples a sentence above and you don't want to repeat the word, you know, I get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. The way. I've never noticed that. Now I'm never going to be able to miss well, it. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's come up before, but it certainly will in the future. Maybe I probably has, but that's hilarious. Like I said, he's got some words that he loves. Yeah. I didn't want, I didn't want to know what else had been pierced. I know I didn't because I told myself that very sternly. I didn't want to know, even if it was hell, a little intriguing. Harry, she's 17. Also, I, maybe I'm showing my naivety, but like, what? I guess her belly button, but like, there's like two other spots to pierce. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, even if it was a little intriguing, that was the first time, because I was listening to it on my walk, I literally set up. And how intriguing is a belly button piercing? Maybe he's got a belly button thing. Again, we don't kink shame. The podcast was on fire. But we do when they're 17 years old. Okay. And then he talks, she's got a couple of tattoos. And she watched me with one eyebrow arched, waiting for me to react. Her posture and expression both made the effort to say that she was way too cool to care what I thought, but I could practically taste the uncertainty she was working to hide and her anxiety. Long time no see, I said finally. Hello, Harry. Wait, you replied. I just, sorry. Mm-hmm. I just looked it up. Illinois, the age of consent is 17. Doesn't, doesn't make it less creepy. Doesn't make but, it less creepy. I'm just. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. But here's the thing. At this point, Harry's what? Late 20s, early 30s? He's almost twice her age. It's just gross. And then we learned she's got a pierced tongue. He said, it's odd. From here, it doesn't look like you're in jail at all. I know. She managed to keep her voice mostly steady, but her face and throat colored pink in a guilty flush. She shifted her weight restlessly, and an odd clicking sound came from her mouth. Good grief. She picked up the tick of rattling her tongue piercing against her teeth when she was nervous. Um, I should apologize, I guess. Uh, she floundered. I let her. A long silence made her look more flustered but I had no intention of politely helping her out of it. When Molly reaches for Mouse, a low rumbling comes from his chest. He was growling. The last time Mouse had growled at anything, it had been at the serpent demon thingy trying to kill him. Harry tells Mouse, be polite. She's a friend. Mouse gave me a look and then fell quiet again. He sat calmly as Molly let him sniff her hand and scratch his ears, but his wary body language didn't change. And she asks about Mouse, asks what kind he is. He's a West Highland Dogosaurus. She says, I lied to you to get you to come down here. And she apologizes. She said she needed his help. I just thought that if I could talk to you in person about it, you might be, I mean, call a spade a spade, Molly. You figured if you could get me to come all the way down here, you'd have a chance to flutter your eyelashes and get me to do whatever it is you want me to do. It isn't like that. It's just like that. No, I didn't want this to be a bad thing. You manipulated me. You took advantage of my friendship. How is that not a bad thing? Give me one reason why I shouldn't turn and walk away right now. And then we learn her friend Nelson is in trouble. Nelson is a legal adult, but a bail bondsman wouldn't be able to get him out until the next day. Then tell him to bite the bullet and spend a night in lockup or else to call his parents. He can't. There's no one for him to call. He's an orphan, Harry. Well, we know that that's going to obviously tug at his heartstrings. Good reason. What's your friend Nelson in for? Reckless endangerment and aggravated assault. It's kind of a long story, but he's a sweet guy, Harry. There isn't a violent bone in his body. Which emphasized to me 
just how young Molly really was. There are violent bones in everyone's body, if you look deep enough. About 206 of them. <laughs> Have we met, referenced on the show how our sister, since our father died, has mm-hmm. been referring to herself <laughs> and us as orphans? I don't think we've talked about that. And my mom is always like, I'm still alive. Like, now, now that we're orphans, we have to do this. Oh, <laughs> uh, she's such a good job adding levity to every situation. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah, that's so true. Okay. And so we asked, who is Nelson? Her parents don't like Nelson that much. Nelson's that kind of friend. Why is it so important for him to get out tonight? Because he might be in danger. The weird kind of danger. He needs your help. And there it was. Sometimes it's almost as though I'm psychic. And I just want to let you know that I've been, I'm building up a um, theory about Molly that's going to come up in my crackpot theory. Ooh. <laughs> so he bails out boyfriend Nelson. I love that he calls him boyfriend Nelson. <laughs> yeah. But he's just saying, you know, again, he mentioned to Murphy that he doesn't hasn't had money to fix the door. And he spent a ton of money on Little Chicago, but he's also now able to save up a little bit. So he has a chunk of cash around for you know issues like this. He makes a snarky remark while she's counting the money and she does not appreciate it. He gives a description of Nelson, which is interesting. One thing that popped out at me is he, he said he didn't look like he would have expected. Taller than Molly by an inch or two, but thin kind of lean, not like skinny, but thin kind of whipcord strength, how he describes it. As he moves, Harry pegs him as a fencer or a martial artist. Like, because Harry notices how people move. He always talks about how Murphy moves. He talks about how people move. So I really liked his description of Nelson because you can kind of see him in your head. Guess who this time with uh, working with Michael, he's seen some, you know, elite level sword play. Mm-hmm. It's just a, that's not something I've ever thought about someone. And maybe that just means I'm not as observant that he looks like a fencer. How many people are fencers? But I, I think it's, it's again, because of the world he lives in. You know, he, he sees people fight with swords, but it's also kind of maybe how he moves. I mean, I, we would probably think, oh, he could be a boxer, but he's so skinny. They have skinny boxers too. That's why they do it by weight. That's true, but. You know, it's, so it's it's kind of the way he moves. And I kind of got that. Though Fencer is sort of a random. Yeah, no, that was my whole point. It's not like a, a bad line or anything like that. It's just interesting. I don't know. And you kind of, I guess, hit the nail on the head there. Like, he, he's around guys that use, he's around swordplay more often than the average Joe. So maybe yeah. that jumps up to his brain. Yeah, good, good thought. He's got a splatter con exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point shirt on. <laughs> as soon as he gets out, he goes over and he hugs Molly. And the way Harry describes it, the hug went on a second or two longer than Molly wanted it to. And he bends down to kiss her. And she turns, so he has to kiss her on the cheek. At that point, Nelson kind of gets the gist. And Harry says to Mal, save me from awkward relationship melodrama. The only one around him he can have a conversation with. (laughs) Most (laughs) of the time, quite frankly. Yeah. Even when there's other people. But, you know, there's a line that tinged with sadness there where he says being a learned wizardly type i had of course discovered the cure for tangling up an otherwise orderly life with relationship issues don't have a relationship Mm. it was better that way if i repeated it to myself often enough i almost believed it 
A moment later, they walk over and Nelson doesn't look at him when he tries to shake his hand. He says, oh, I, I guess thank you. And Harry does the manly handshake squeeze to show, do, assert dominance and prove something manly. We've all done it. It's just usually fake and dumb. He's trying to scare the kid, though. Yeah, I don't think with the handshake he's trying to scare him. He's just kind of... Intimidate, maybe. Yeah, sort of, but it's 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 a weird... Well, my I thought, hate to actually so... agree with things like this, but it is a guy thing. It is a thing. We're like, it's a dick. It's a dick move, but it's not really like, I don't know, out and out intimidation. Trying to. But the other thing is, is Harry is tall and lean. This kid is tall and lean. This is like Harry's the uh, he might be he might look small, but he's tough. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how I took that. Yeah, no, he definitely knows little guys or tall, skinny guys, excuse me, can bring it. As he's squeezing his hand, Harry says. How could I refuse such a polite and straightforward request for help? <laughs> Boyfriend Nelson says, I, I don't want to be, seem ungrateful, but I got to get moving. And Harry's like, no, you don't. And so they get into, again, this kind of like body. Pissing contest. They get into like this body language. Yeah, pissing contest where, you know, it looks like he's going to leave. And then now they're like shifting their body weight to like fight. And. Harry's like, I got you out of cage. Now you tell me what happened. Then you can go. <laughs> I, I do like how Harry shows both sides of the of the coin here. Where proverbial, not not lash yells. <laughs> he says, "Are you threatening me? I'm telling you how it's gonna be, kid. So talk. And if I don't, if you don't, maybe I'll knock your block off. I'd like to see you try." <laughs> Boyfriend Nelson said, "Suit yourself." but we're inside of the cop at the entry desk. He won't see who threw the first punch and you're going to go back for assault two minutes after being freed. You will not get bail again. And it's basically like, Harry has him here. Like, if we fight, A, I'll win. Yeah. Because I'm bigger, stronger, older, and a fucking wizard. (laughs) And if we fight, you're going to jail again. Like, this is so stupid. And the kid actually takes a second to think about it. You know, tells me you're going to be arrested too. He's like, dude, like, I'll lie to them. <laughs> yeah. And they will believe me. So, you know, Molly tries to calm him down. He's like, Nelson, he's trying to help you. He's got a hell of a way of showing it. And Harry, you know, Harry says this. I think this is when he realizes that he's being a dick for no reason, where he says, just balancing the scales a bit. He's not mad at Nelson. He's mad at Molly and taking it out on Nelson. So he gives Nelson an off-ramp here and, you know, you know walks back himself. He's like, Come on, kid. Give me five minutes. I'll pay your fare and throw in some fast food. He explains why he got arrested and the situation around it was he was pooping and a guy came into the bathroom, opened the really squeaky door. You heard the crowd, the door closed. And then shortly after that, he was assaulted, beaten within an inch of his life by either boyfriend Nelson or persons unknown. And there was a cop right there. So, you know, seems to be maybe on the spooky side, which is why Molly thought it might behoove them to bring Harry in on the case. Turns out it was the guy, Clark Pell, who owns the theater right next to the hotel where they're having the convention. There's a line in there, which, again, doesn't matter, but it incongruous and sloppy, where they say, he says, he's a nice old, old guy, talking about Clark Pell, always supports the convention. Just put a pin in that. Because it's a, it's a first-year con. It's a first-year con. Days later. So that could also be true, right? Like he's been helping out the whole year. 
working with, you know, with them to get screening permission and stuff. Like it could very well be, it just struck me as like odd phrasing. If, if that were true. Yeah. Again, I already hand waved it there and it's immaterial. Just, it just is something you notice when you read something four times over the course of a week, (laughs) right? Stuff pops out at you, but we also get the good stuff. We just also get some dumb stuff along with it. And so, you know, he heard there was a scuffle, a fight, but no one else could have been in there. And, you know, he said he jumped out to help, but it you know, took him a little while to, to get out of the stall, if you know what I'm saying. And the dude was just on the floor bleeding, broken nose, maybe his jaw, mm-hmm. like just no one else around. And Harry asked if somebody could have slipped in and out, but no, because the door, the convention sounds and the door reaching when they open it. So, it, you know, maybe they came in at the same time as Pell, but then they couldn't have left, right? So it, they're really, because that squeaky door, it makes it really hard to fathom how someone could have gotten in and out all the while beating the shit out of the dude with a cop right outside the door. No other suspects. You know, he's the guy in there. They obviously are going to blame him. And that's kind of how, how it went down. I really like when Harry muses for a moment and says, what do you think happened? I just think that's a great question. Obviously, you know, the cop will ask it. We'll see cops asking that question later in the novel questioning people who are around a, a situation but we haven't i can't remember really seeing harry like you know like try to try to coax like i, I don't know it, it's, it jumped out at me as as again not off in a bad way but i i like i liked it and i don't know if now sitting here talking about why i like it i don't know because harry knows it's weird and he wants to see kind of the kid's perspective on it yeah that's you know and it's yeah it, and it's very much it's the kind the concept of like an open-ended question when you're trying to get information from someone. What do you think happened? Or tell me about it. I mean, I use those those sorts of things in interviews all the time. And it's one of those things where it it gives people space to talk. But it also, in this instance, it will give it kind of gives Harry an idea of what his understanding of this supernatural world is. At least that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, no, I think that. Like I said, I couldn't articulate it because sound good. Words hard. <laughs> Lissy speak. It's kind of how what the hamster does spinning that thing up there. That wheel creaks a lot too. But I just like any of our listeners that have kids, specifically kids in any youth activity, really. But my corner of the pie is youth sports. And I was having this conversation actually with our, our other sister, but really with any parent because I was. My our nephew has started playing water polo kind of as a side thing. He's a baseball player. Maybe he'll be a water polo player now. Who knows? But like, it's weird for me because I don't want to be overbearing and like, oh, I love you now because you play water polo. Like, no, like I love him. He did nothing. You know, like that's, that's not, but I have something in common. Oh, it's very exciting, but it is just kind of like, it's, it's, I don't want to like, I don't want to be the reason he quits polo. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be overbearing and like, so I'm kind of like trying to like massage that conversation. But I went and watched one of his games and. Yeah, you know, he was just talking to us. It wasn't bad. It wasn't, but like, I see this with parents in my job as well. This was just happened to be in my personal life, but like where you want to talk to your kid about what happened after a game or a practice or whatever. And in, inevitably it like comes down to a parent talking about like what they should do and shouldn't do. And it not like they're undermining the coach on purpose or anything like that, but it's like, even if it's a sport they know and play, they're not in the weeds with the team. Like they don't know. So, so what I told her she should do, and I, th- I, again, I think it's great advice because I think the words I choose are often good, <laughs> but and maybe it's dumb, but like, instead of saying like, oh, you need to do this or why didn't you do this? 
ask questions. Like, how did you think that game went? Like, you know, what, what, you know, why do you think you won? Why do you think you lost? Like, what did you do really well? What do you think you struggled with? And that way they are getting the opportunity to be the expert. And like, you're that just reminded the way you describe what he wants out of Nelson, right? Like make Nelson the guy, he's the guy that knows everything. Like I'm, I'm not going to solve it by myself. Like, what, what do you think? You know, what, what's your in, give them an opportunity for input. And that makes them the, you know, they're the expert in the vehicle, you know, on the way home from, from the game. And that way they get more confident. They have to articulate what is supposed to happen. You know, like they learn the system or the plays or their role better by explaining it. Also think through their role. Exactly. Yeah. No, and I, when you think through it, you, if, if you, hindsight is twenty twenty. Think critically. Yeah. And if you can think critically about your own performance in anything, this is true of anything, then you can get better. And you, you're getting better from within. You're not only taking outside guidance. And I think that that in any walk of life, in any part of life, I think that's huge. No, for sure. Um, I just, I, I generally- no, I think that's great though. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I generally defer to experts. So I try to- which is weird that I talk about water polo a lot on a podcast that has nothing to do with that. <laughs> that's okay. It's the intersection of that's what I know, right? And yeah. so like I I wouldn't try to speak in other scenarios, but like I Thankfully I talk a lot about dead things on this podcast and there are a lot of dead things on this podcast. <laughs> Your intersectionality with this I don't think that's the right word. Your intersection with this pod makes a lot more sense. But uh, <laughs> I just love the Dresden files, which it's funny that like I, you know, I've read some negative feedback on our pod because obviously half of this pod is like struggling to get through it every time. There's an anchor and a, I don't know, an eagle. Um, no, but like, you know, obviously early on, well, we're the first to admit that it was rough going early on. We, we didn't know what we were doing. We we're trying to figure it out. I did what we were doing. We we're just talking shit. <laughs> Again, th this is just an elaborate scheme. <laughs> to make my sister sit down and talk to me for an hour. But also, how many times did we record the first episode? <laughs> yeah, at, at least twice. We deleted it. I was, it was a whole mess. But <laughs> some of the negative feedback is like talking about how like this guy doesn't even like this series. Like he's, he just talks shit on Harry the whole for like hours for like an hour. And it's like, well, I love it. That's why I think it can do better. I, it does do better, right? I mean, it's the same thing. Like, you know, people are like love love it or leave it about the country like no like if you care about something you yeah. want it to be better but i digress so yeah i'm glad you got something out of that that, that uh question as well we liked that question from harry and and like i like it it very much shows like this scene it's a combination like his inner thought process about nelson and being like i'll take one for the team recognizing recognizing and stepping back yeah for sure yeah he's not trying to out masculine nelson it says a lot about him as a character you know yeah and harry is supposed to be in the, like somewhere between 30 and 31 i think during this novel so he is a much more mature character than we've seen him start just definitionally mm -hmm. but like it's just another piece of evidence like he's come a long way and mostly we see that manifest with his relationship with Murphy, mm -hmm. but he's a much better, more well-adjusted human in every aspect of his life. You know, he's still working through it. I mean, when I was 30, it was still a work in progress. I'm, I turned 40 this year and this next year, and who knows if I'll ever get there, but you know, you obviously make progress as you get older because you meet new people with different experiences and you learn more about the world. And so he's really done a good job. And again, it, you hit the nail on the head last week about how it wasn't 
super fast. It was earned. It was slowly but surely. But this is just more evidence that like he really is a different, improved human from Stormfront, which I love. How he should be. Absolutely. You know, it's that character arc that you that you need. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's a it's so it's subtle, right? It's not yeah. like a huge life changing thing. It's just like he's a little bit better at talking to people. And I think that's that's even more cool to me than the big overarching changes. Cause those I don't want to say they're easy because I'm not artistic or you know clever, but like, you know what I mean? Like when you like have big big story beats are easy to like put into place. It's those little like kind of minutiae that like shows the maturity more than like him having more powerful spells you know what i mean which is really plus also is more accessible yeah it's more real world you know and it's 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 really it's really really strong writing Um, it is it is so the reason or one of the reasons that boyfriend nelson is hustling off is he's got to pick up one of the kind of guests of honor at the con it's darby crane who is uh the director of the harvest which stars the scarecrow some monster villain made up for this universe that ate some nuns yeah <laughs> big scary smashes through the wall of a convent i mean that's great i like that the librarian's the hero sets himself on fire uh, or set, bur- burns be. down the library which had to be so hard for a librarian oh my god right in my head it's giles it was it was probably easier it says you know burn down the library and himself in it it was probably easier to stay in that fire than it was to actually light all the books on fire. A hundred percent. But but literally in my head, I'm thinking I'm thinking Giles from Buffy. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I know this isn't a Buffy pod, and I it absolutely is at this point. Uh, and this this week I brought it up. So <laughs> once you break the seal, yeah, I know. I'm gonna find more Buffy. Um, we always do. So Harry, you know, Harry kind of lets him go. Harry's gonna go with him, but Harry at that point is done questioning him, and they head off. They're gonna go pick up. Darby Crane and Mouse spots the tail that was parked illegally across the street and lets out another almost subaudible growl. And again, the shadow is not going out of his way to not be noticed. So it's almost certainly not a hitman. And then I like what he goes through like, well, maybe he's doing reverse psychology and <laughs> yeah, he's over rationalizing. Yeah, it's just gonna, you know, over he's his brain's not going to work. Most likely, it's not a hitman because he doesn't mind being seen. And it's not the same car that hit him earlier. So. Process of elimination. Not the same guy. Yeah. That's, again, Mer- what's the uh, Occam's razor? Exactly. Simplest solution here. Again, with their kind of very clear relationship issues, Molly hops in the front seat. Mouse and just kind of, un- again, not huge, but just unspoken tension, right? Where they're, there's no like, oh, you were in jail. Go sit, you know, be comfortable or whatever. Or maybe he doesn't like talk to people. I don't know. But Harry mentions it, which seems mentionable, right? But the dog, the wizard, and the boyfriend get in the back seat, And they head to O'Hare to pick up Mr. Crane. And as they get to the airport, Molly starts to get out. And he says, wait, not you. What? Nelson's out of jail. He's talked to me about what happened. And he's in time to meet Darby Crane. I think I pretty much lived up to what I said I would do. She frowned prettily. Yes? So? So now it's your turn. Close the door. And she mentions that he's in trouble, which we've seen, and he doesn't believe in dot, dot, dot. 
obviously he, she means magic, but she doesn't want to say it in front of the cabbie. Harry doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Harry doesn't because again, he obviously wants to help Nelson because he's a humanitarian. You know, he just wants things to be better. But his main focus right now is to help his friends and his family. So, and her family, I guess. You know, he did call her a friend. He says maybe he is you know, in trouble. Maybe he is. Maybe not. I'm going over to the convention tonight to see if there's anything supernatural about the assault. Right after we get done talking to your parents. And she says, what? We had a deal, and in my judgment, we need to go see them. It isn't as though I need them to bail me out of anything. You should have thought about that before you made the deal. I'm not going there. I don't want to. And this is, again, I'm sitting here imagining the cabbie, right? I, I talked a lot about Butters during the Lashiel chapter, the Lashiel Sheila reveal, just how weird that would have been. The cabbie is sitting here while he says, Miss Carpenter, is there any doubt in your mind, any at all, that I could take you there regardless of what you want to do? But my guess is the cabbie's seen some shit. Yeah, no, for sure. But what he gets, he says, I'm taking you to see them because it's the smart thing to do, the legal thing to do, the right thing to do. You agreed to do it. And by the stars and stones, if you try to weasel out on me, I will wrap you in duct tape, box you up, and send you UPS. I'm not your mom or dad, Molly. And these days, I'm not a very nice person. You've already abused my friendship tonight and diverted my attention from work that could have saved lives. People who really need my help might get hurt or die because of this stupid stunt. Now buckle the fuck up. I gave the cabby my address and closed my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, a cab often at night, often drunk people. He's a 30-year-old man. You know, not soft threatening. It's not really, he, he tells Michael he threatened her, but he, this isn't really, I mean, I'm gonna put you in a box and ship you. Like, that's not really, a, that's not an actual threat, right? But he makes it very clear that he could do something, of course. But he gives the cabby the address and he heads over he hadn't seen Michael in nearly two years. He regretted that. Of course, not seeing Michael meant not seeing Charity either, which I did not regret, which I love. He hadn't seen Michael in two years, and now he's going to drive up in a cab with their daughter. Charity was not going to be happy. And she never was when she saw Harry, but you know, her walking up with Molly, looking the way she looks and clearly in some sort of distress, his presence near her daughter would make him guilty of uncounted, if imaginary, transgressions. <laughs> and he feels the sigil on his palm burning and itching, which could be Lashiel bugging him about it, but I, I, I think it's more just him subconsciously. Psychosomatic. Yeah, exactly. We talked about this last week where he's worried about this exact confrontation because he thinks Michael will see through him and he'll see Lashiel and. He will think of Harry as an enemy and not the good man that he has in the past. Again, Michael soul-gazed him. And we've seen, we'd, Harry doesn't ask or know what people see back, but it's always a bad reaction, except for Marcone, who seemed to you know, see something he knew he was going to see. And Michael, we saw Susan, was it Susan or, yeah, Susan passed out. Other people, he said, have had similar type of reactions that he, he knows there's, that's part of why he talks about how he's got this darkness in him and stuff. And Michael saw his soul 
and actively, openly, regularly says he's a good man. And I, that, I think, again, more than Michael, you know, cutting his head off with a sword or anything like that, I think that is far scarier for Harry and for all of us readers. The, the idea that Michael would turn his back on Harry is far, far scarier than any of that. Again, he makes another comment about the physically matured daughter. Can't, we can't go whole chapters without it. Come on. Of course not. Without referencing the child's figure. He predicted fireworks, you know, whether it was Charity or Michael being mad about him showing up with their daughter, whether it was Michael with Lashiel. And if he survives that confrontation, he's off to, to a horror convention where a supernatural assault might or might not have happened with a mysterious stranger following me while an unknown would-be assassin ran around loose somewhere, probably practicing his offensive driving skills so that he could polish me off next time he saw me. Let the good times roll. We mentioned in the past how great a lot of the chapter opens and closes are. This has not been that way. There's actually this, the next one is like, his, not, I don't say worse because it doesn't matter, but like certainly the least entertaining one ever. But that's the first one that's like, or maybe one of the first ones that's been like, yeah, you know, you get to the end of a Dresden chapter. It's like, fuck yeah. Or like, ooh, you know, rock and fucking roll, motherfucker. There's always big emotions here. And like one of the ones coming up is like, thank you. You're welcome. Like, <laughs> which is, it's, it, you know, narratively, it's a fine place to stop the chapter. It's just jarring because of, in context of all these other chapters, starts and ends, right? Yeah. All right. So we have pulled up to the Carpenter household. Harry tells Cabby to keep the meter running. That's some that's some uh, time-specific stuff. Because, I mean, this would just be, they took an Uber. <laughs> Between keep telling them to keep the Cabby running and all the payphones. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he tells them to keep the meter running at the Carpenters, and they're there for a ton of time. But, like, it's so he doesn't have to go in and call call a cab again. It's 100% because he's terrified. I understand why. Charity. Yeah, he doesn't want to ask Charity to use the phone. I get why. Fuck no. It's just, it seems expensive as all. Well. Now he's got some money. He's throwing it around. <laughs> right? Seriously. All right. So they stand up to ring the doorbell. And Molly, she faced the door calmly and then broke out into a sweat the moment I rang the bell. Nice to know I wasn't the only one. <laughs> and so Molly's kind of doing this like, trying to psych herself up and he asks if there's any mud i paused to consider her for a second then i said you have two tattoos showing right now and you probably used a fake id to get them your piercings would set off any metal detector worth the name and you're featuring them in parts of your anatomy your parents wish you re didn't realize you had you're dressed like frankenhooker and your hair has been dyed colors i previously thought only existed in cotton candy i wouldn't waste time worrying about a little mud on my boots the door opens and hope runs up to Molly and is super excited to see her. And she calls her Hobbit. And she, I, I just love this. Daniel's the boss kid now, and he isn't as good as you. He yells a lot more. Is your hair blue? Hey, I said, it's pink too. <laughs> and then Hope gets a little shy and says, you remember Hope? Say hello to Mr. Dresden. My name is Hobbit. But it's just, it's a cute kind of interaction with the kiddos. And another pair of girls comes down. One of them is very stern looking. The uh, smaller one says, Bill, you came back to visit. My name is Harry, actually, and I remember you. Amanda, right? I'm Amanda, but we already have a Harry. That's why you're Bill. I love that throwback that she just remembered it. She's met him like once or twice. Yeah. And this is Alicia. She's the next oldest girl. You remember Mr. Dresden, don't you, Leech? Don't call me Leech. 
she said in the patient tone of someone who has said something a million times and plans on saying it a million more. Hello, sir, she told me. Alicia, I said, nodding. Evidently, the use of her actual name constituted a gesture of partisanship. <laughs> and then the two boys show up. One is obviously the oldest, the younger one trying to be cool. He almost threw her, himself at Molly upon seeing her, but restrained himself to a hello and a hug. We learn that's Matthew and Daniel. And Daniel doesn't say hello. Where have you been? He stood there frowning at Molly for a moment. Nice to see you too, Daniel. You know Mr. Dresden. He gave me a nod, said to Molly, I'm not kidding, you just took off. Do you have any idea of how much it messed things up here? You don't think I was just going to hang around forever, did you? Is it Halloween wherever you live? Look at you. <laughs> Mom is going to freak out. When does she do anything else? Shouldn't these two be in bed? That's what I was trying to do before someone interrupted bedtime. Then Michael comes down the stairs. He had the kind of face that told anyone who looked that he was a man of honesty and kindness who nonetheless could probably kick the crap out of you if you offered him violence. I wasn't sure how he managed that. Something about his strength of jawline maybe bestoke the steady power of both mind and body. But as for the kindness, that went all the way down to his soul. You could see it in the warmth of his gray eyes. And he is carrying his sword case and an overnight bed. And he came down the stairs with the pace of a man with places to be until he looked up and saw Molly and me standing in the doorway. He froze in place, a smile of surprised delight illuminating his face as he saw Molly. And then he came, ran forward and gave her a hug. And she, Molly asks, when are you going? You just caught me. I'm glad. It's just a visit, she said. I'm glad anyway. And then he pulls back and looks at the rest of her. Margaret Catherine Amanda Carpenter, he said, his voice hushed. God's blood, what have you done to your... your... Self, I suggested. Yourself. Yourself, Michael sighed. She was doing that thing where she tried to display how much she didn't care what her daddy thought of her look, and it was almost painfully obvious that she cared a great deal. Tattoos. The hair isn't so bad. Tell me, Harry, am I just too old? He reaches his hand out to, to offer it to Harry, and Harry kind of pauses and doesn't. He, for a couple of years, I had avoiding him with every excuse I had, hoping I could take care of my little demon issue without bothering him about it. More accurately, I supposed, I had been too ashamed to let him see what had happened. Michael was probably the most honest, decent human being I had ever had the privilege to know. He had always thought well of me. And had been something, it had been something that had given me comfort in a low spot or two, and I hated the thought of losing his trust in friendship. Lashiel's presence, the collaboration of a literal fallen angel, would destroy that. But friendship wasn't a one way street. I had brought his daughter back because I had thought it was the right thing to do, and because I thought he'd do the same for someone else in a similar circumstance. I respected him enough to do that and I respected him too much to lie to him. I avoided the confrontation for long enough. I shook his hand. And nothing in his matter or expression changed, not even an ounce. He hadn't since Lashiel's presence remark. Well, yes, smiling. If you think she looks silly, you're too old. I'm moderately ancient by the standards of the younger generation, and I think she only looks a little over the top. And... That description of Michael and Harry's inner battle is just perfect. 
it truly is perfect because it's Harry obviously has been thinking about this for several years, but friendship isn't a one-way street. I respected him too much to lie to him. I'd avoided the confrontation for too long. And all of that worry was for naught, seemingly. And, you know, so he will, he's headed out as his duties with Knights of the Cross. It wasn't clear exactly how his itinerary was established. But he was often called away from his home and family, apparently summoned to where his strength was needed most. I don't go in big for religion, but I believe in the Almighty. I'd seen a vast power at work supporting Michael's actions. Coincidence seemed to go insane, go to insane lengths at times to make sure he was where he needed to be to help someone in trouble. I'd seen that power strike down seriously twisted foes without Michael so much as raising his voice. That power, that faith had carried him through dangers and battles he had no business surviving, much less winning. And then Charity appears. And Harry checks out her legs because she's in a right a red silk kimono. And she's definitely interesting. Yes. It's an odd, this is an odd scene. And she says, excuse me for a moment, and comes back in a old bathrobe and fuzzy slippers. Mm-hmm. Molly, she said quietly, and came down the stairs. Mother. And the wizard. Of course he's here. Is this who you've been with, Molly? Dear God, Charity! The air pressure in the room quadrupled, and Molly's face darkened from pink to scarlet. So what if it is? She demanded defiance, making the words ring. That's no business of yours. You bring me into this, you asshole. Right? And I love how he's going to open his mouth, and Michael's just like, just stay out of it, just stay out of it, just stay out of it. Wrong. You are my child, and I am your mother. It is precisely my business. But it's my life which you clearly lack the discipline and intelligence to manage. Here we go again. Go-go gadget control, freak. Do not take that tone of voice with me, young lady. Young lady. What's the point? Stupid me to think that you might actually be willing to talk to me instead of telling me how to live every second of my life. I fail to see the error in that when you clearly have no idea what you're doing. Young lady, look at you. You look like... like a savage. My mouth went off on reflex. Ah, uh, yes. A savage of the famous... Chromatonsorial Cahokian goth tribe. Michael winced. Excuse me, Mr. Dresden. I do not recall speaking to you. Beg pardon. Don't mind me. Just thinking out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I do not need you to defend me. You will not speak to an adult in that tone of voice so long as you are in this house, young lady. Not a problem. She turns around, opens the door. Michael put his hand out, not with any particular effort but the door slammed shut again with a sharp, booming impact. Sudden silence fell over the Carpenter household. Both Molly and Charity stared at Michael with expressions of utter shock. Ladies, I try not to involve myself in these discussions, but obviously your conversation this evening is unlikely to resolve the differences you had. I don't have any feeling that my trip will be an extended one, but we never know what he has planned for us or how much time is left to any of us. This house has been upset long enough. The strife is hurting everyone. Find a way to resolve your troubles before I return. But, Molly began, Molly, she is your mother. She deserves your respect and courtesy. You will give them to her for the length of a conversation. Molly set her jaw but looked away from her father. He stared at her for a moment until she gave him a brief nod. Thank you. I want you both 
to make an effort to set aside the anger and talk. By God, ladies, I will not go forth to answer the call only to come home to more conflict and strife. I get enough of that while I am gone. But Michael, surely you aren't going to leave now, not when there will be trouble. Gesturing at Harry, because of course, Harry's here. There's going to be fucking trouble. Faith, my love, are you sure? I'm needed. And then Harry walks him out to the car. And he says, I'm glad to get out of there. Tension. Knife. It's been a long year. What happened to them? Molly was arrested. Possession. She was possessed? <laughs> Good old Harry. We learned she was, was arrested for possession of marijuana and ecstasy. She ended up holding at a party and she got community service. We talked about it. She was clearly repentant. I thought that the humiliation and the sentence of the law were enough to settle matters, but Charity thought we were being too gentle. She tried to restrict which people Molly was allowed to spend time with. Both of them are proud, stubborn. Friction rose until it exploded. Molly left home, dropped out of school. It's been difficult. I can see that. Maybe you should pitch in with Charity. Maybe the two of you could sit on her until she gets back on the straight and narrow. She's Charity's daughter. A hundred parents sitting on her wouldn't make her surrender. A parent's authority can only go so far. Molly has to start thinking and choosing for herself. At this point, twisting her arm until she cries uncle isn't going to help her do that. Doesn't seem like Charity agrees with you. She loves Molly very much. She's afraid of the kind of things that could happen to her little girl. Which brings me to a question for you. Yeah. Is there some kind of dangerous situation developing? It seems probable, but I don't have anything specific yet. Is my daughter involved in it? Not to my knowledge. Her boyfriend got arrested tonight. She talked me into bailing him out. And then he explains how he got her there. This is what he charged for her help. Michael grunted. You threatened her. Politely. I'd never hurt her. I know that. And Michael asks for a favor. Just talk to her. She likes you, respects you. A few words from you might do more than anything I could tell her. Whoa, I don't know. You don't have to negotiate a treaty. Just ask her to talk to her mother, to be willing to give a little. Compromise has to work both ways. What about charity? She'll come around. The only one who has noticed that charity really doesn't regard me with most what most of the world thinks of a fairness or fondness. I'm the last person in the world to get her to sit down for a reconciliation talk. Have a little faith. And Michael says, he agrees. And Michael says, thank you. I'm sorry you walked into the crossfire tonight. Molly told me there'd been trouble at home. Bringing her here seemed like the right thing to do. He says, if something arises, will you keep an eye on them for me? It would make me feel a lot better to know you were watching over them until I return. What happened to having faith? Seems a bit lazy to expect the Lord to do all the work, doesn't it? Besides, I do have faith, Harry, in him, and in you. Demon-infested me writhed in uncomfortable guilt on the inside. I'll keep an eye on them, of course. God be with you, he replied. Half-sword will travel, hi-ho, silver away. Get Molly and Charity to sit down and talk things out? Right. I'd as about as much chance to do that as I did of backpacking my car to the top of Mount Rushmore. <sighs> but he would, because we know him. Because Michael was his friend, and because in general, he, I was in general too stupid to turn people in need down. And maybe because of something more. 
Michael's house had always been full of hectic life, but it had been a place in general of talk and warmth and laughter and good food. The ugly shouts and snarls of Molly and Charity's quarrel had stained the place. They didn't belong there. And he, he you know, he, he thinks Michael has a good point that he might be able to get through to Molly, but that's only half the battle because, I mean, Charity. Molly came over and Harry offers her a ride. Where do you need to go? The convention. I have friends there, a room for the weekend. The Rugrats seemed glad to see you. I didn't realize just how much I miss them, dumb little jaw was. And then he realizes that talking to her about it might think she's being pressured, but maybe he's just going to be there to support her. He says, they're cute kids. Yes, I'm heading for the convention anyway. Get in the cab. Thank you, she said. You're welcome. That is a really boring end of a chapter, I agree. <laughs> right. But it's sort of, Harry has to kind of be a parent and a friend to this kid. A little stressful. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. And I actually really do like the, um, I like the chapter a lot. Yeah, it's Although, a great chapter. And it's a lot of, again, development. Yeah, no, I have a very serious problem with this one that we'll get to okay. when we circle back. Not like there's something wrong with the writing or, or mm. it's wrong with the characterization. It's just I don't like, I'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. Chapter 11. They get to the convention and Harry describes the similarities and differences between what usually you think of as a convention, you know, where everyone from a certain industry goes and gets together at some hotel somewhere and have a good time, drink, it's, uh, take some time off work. You know, it's an excuse for a trip somewhere. And yeah, I'm definitely professional development. I'm definitely looking at new products and stuff. I'm not just here to have fun. The first major difference between a business convention and a fandom convention is that the fandom does not bother with those pretenses. They're just here for a good time. I'm excited about our adventure in March. Oh, it should be. Oh, we should cosplay as Mr. and Mouse. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> with, like, with fey ears or fey eyes or something. <laughs> so dumb. I digress. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness, who would who would be who? Uh, it's long. We got to figure that out. Okay, these are important things in life. Age before beauty. He describes this a pretty standard hotel, ballroom, convention center, dining room setup. You know, and he sees a couple hundred people. You know, maybe more than that, but not crazy. And he says he expected more people to be here. And he, you know, the. Uh, throwaway line here that he dropped off mouse back at the, the apartment and he grabbed some some more equipment it's interesting we saw this in deadbeat where just convenience when to bring mouse as a plot device is interesting mm -hmm. but you know well we, we needed mouse to to growl there 100%. a couple times and maybe it would have been awkward here just again it all makes it doesn't not make sense i'm just kind of looking through the face value of it mm -hmm. to the more technical inside baseball stuff here. He, you know, he says he expected more people to be here. And she says, you know, it's Thursday night. It's getting late. And it's a weeknight. Like we got 3000 people, <clears throat> 3000 people already registered. He says that a lot for a first year convention. It's a Mongol horde. You know, she's really proud of herself and talks about how it's uh -huh. young people, but you know, there's some people who put a lot of conventions together, but again, that was the line I, I me and Liz referenced a little bit ago where I, 
He always supports the, the convention. He, al- he always supports the convention. But but then here, I guess she says, but old hands at putting conventions together. So presumably a lot of these people have been, have been involved in different conventions. So, okay, Joshy was wrong again. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, another two girls, both too young for me to think about, to for me to think adult thoughts about. Gross. And as he's trying to not think adult thoughts about them, he almost kills one of them. <laughs> she Oops. smiles at him and clear the clear scent of wood smoke filled his nose. He's getting re- ready to blast, basically. And we've seen that before. Better than pulling a gun out on a stranger. So That's true. We're, again, maturing. We're making progress. Yeah, he recognized that the vampire teeth were not real vampire teeth. They're just at a convention for horror movies, Harry. Huh? Huh? I mean, you know, he's had a hard couple of months. He really has. Hard couple of decades. He ends up not blasting them, luckily. Good, good, good work. The girls, the girls went on by none the wiser. Molly frowned at them, and then back at Harry. Her face tilted into an expression of silent inquiry. I just... Very interesting interaction. Um, it's, he shakes his head and says, sorry, sorry, been a long day already. Look, I need to get a look at that bathroom. Where was this theater owner attacked? And she, she said, well, first we gotta get you a name tag. Because... On rules. Everybody's got to have a name tag so that security knows that they're supposed to be there, especially when there's just been an assault. You'd think they'll be a little extra cautious, so it does make sense. He says, like, oh, I'm not sure how I'd react to the security making life inconvenient. But, like, again, like, someone's just assaulted who knows what. Like, they're going to be on on a little bit more. Although, boyfriend Nelson is apparently the head of security, so. Funny. (laughs) 12-year-old is the head of security. Oh, he's 18. 19. 19. He heads over to kind of the entryway, the welcome station, basically. A to D, E to J. They have six different spots to line up. I think this is going to be kind of a big pop population here. Just doing some, some quick maths there. Each table set up to receive dozens or hundreds of people at once. A tired-looking middle-aged woman was behind the first table, and... And she says, hey, Molly, who was your friend? Uh, She introduces Harry Dresden to Sandra Marling. She's the convention chair. And, you know, Sandra asks if he's a horror fan. My life is all about horror these days. (laughs) She tells him all the stuff that's going on, autographs, parties, costume contests. And he says, isn't that something? And Molly says that she wants to use her freebie on Harry. So we get him a name tag. And they have a quick interaction about Rosanna. Sandra says that she was looking for Molly a few minutes ago and, you know, have you spoken to her? And Molly says, not since this afternoon. Did she remember to take her vitamins? Rest easy, girl. I reminded her for you. Thank you. Molly looked visibly relieved. I love that. That Molly's concerned about her friend. Yeah. Again, like, she has an example that would make that what she would want, you know. 100%. Her raison d'etre, you'd expect. He fills out the registration form with Sandra, gets through it, and she says that printer's not working, so you're going to have to write your name on the card. You know, one of those, hi, my name is. And he wrote in, an innocent bystander. And I love that. An innocent bystander. 
says, I hope you enjoy SplatterCon, Harry. He picked up the schedule and said, I don't see how I can avoid being entertained. And Molly, you know, gives him some shit for this. Like, you don't have to make fun of it. Actually, I do. I make fun of almost everything. He's like, but it's mean. Sandra has poured her whole life into this convention for a year. I'm impressed they got a convention together in a year. Right? With thousands of people. Again, she said they're old hats at putting conventions together. So they probably had a lot of the structure and support already in place, mm -hmm. or at least on the Rolodex nay speed dial at this point in time. <laughs> and you know, Harry asked where you know her from, not from church. And she said, she's a part-time volunteer at one of the shelters where I'm doing community service. She doesn't explain why she's doing community service. She looked at him obliquely. But obviously we know why, and Harry knows why, because Michael mentioned that she got that as, as a sentence for mm -hmm. her we know why she possession has service. Yeah, and I think she there. She's she, not sure if Harry. She's kind of looking at Harry like, does he know? Yeah, that's kind of how my read of it. And she said she helped out Nelson when he was younger, Rosie too, and her boyfriend. Fine, fine, I'll play nice. Thank you. That's very adult of you. <laughs> Molly leads him down to the end of one of the hallways where there's you know just a bathroom, and kind of points out this is the one. And there's a uniformed cop sitting in a chair beside the door. He was a large black man, gray in his hair at the temples. He's kind of resting the chair back on its rear two legs, leaning against the wall. Very easy to fall doing that. I mm -hmm. have done it many times. <laughs> he also has a SplatterCon name tag. And his is written in a blocky script saying, Hi, my name is an authority figure. <laughs> This is Rollins, who we met last novel. That's why I thought we had met him before. Yeah, he's the guy that was kind of this exact same interaction where he says, you can't go in the crime scene. Oh, where? He yes, that was Rollins at the museum. I thought, I, w I wasn't sure. Because last time. Yeah, no, that's. And he was interested in helping Harry yeah. because of his re prior relationship with Murphy's dad and kind of that connection there. And he says, well, now. It's the consultant guy. Thinks he's a wizard. He says, well, Rollins. You know, they shake hands. And he says, so you're one of these horror movie fans, huh? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of hoping I could get into the bathroom here. There's two more on this floor. One back near the front desk, and there's another at the end of the conference hall. I like this one. Maybe you can't read so good. You see that tape there? It says crime scene and such. The bright yellow and black stuff? That's it exactly. Yep. <laughs> Again, it's very similar to their interaction in Deadbeat. A lot of snark. Yeah, but it, yeah, not in a bad way at all. No. Like, right, they're kind of good falling. Good Yeah, it's good natured. And also, like, that's their entire relationship. Mm -hmm. So they fall back into that same kind of, you know, back and forth. Like, Harry, you know, says, like, can I walk on my tiptoes? Like, obviously, Harry knows he can't go in there walking on his tiptoes. So, like, it's very playful. And... Like I said, it's very similar to the scene in Deadbeat. In this one, in a in a very good way. Uh, yeah. I really like this interaction here. Shows you know they don't know each other very well. This is what they know about each other. They like snarking at each other, and you know, at the end of the day, he he is going to give Harry an opportunity if he asks nicely and does it the right way. Yeah. So he asks nicely and does it the right way. He says like, "Can I just take a peek in there?" But he mentions again. We saw that he he was twice a detective in his past in the past during during the points at points in his career both times being knocked back down for basically insubordination it sounds but 
the reason he says he's not going to let Dresden in there because it might make things hotter on the kid we took in for it. Kid didn't do it. But hotel security cameras show him going in there, then the victim, and no one else. I was sitting right here in this spot the whole time. I'm sure no one else went in or out. So how'd you know the kid didn't attack the old man? Didn't fit him. It wasn't breathing hard. Giving a beating runs you out of breath quick. No damage to his hands or knuckles. No blood on him. So why'd you arrest him? Because the record shows there's no one else who could have done it. Because the old man was too out of it to talk and clear him. Kid didn't beat on the old man. That doesn't mean he wasn't in there, there with whoever did. Figured maybe he knows how the attacker got in and out unseen. So I took him down and booked him. I figured if he was an accomplice, he'd spill rather than take the whole fall himself. But I didn't spill. Didn't know a damn thing. Then why'd he get put away? Didn't know he had a record. I just, again, I, I reference like everyone that Harry really starts to show like trust and appreciation in is all very competent at what they do. It doesn't have to be magical or powerful. They're just very yeah. competent. Again, like before Butters showed that he could deal with this magical world, his ability to just recognize supernatural issues in his career, his job at, at the morgue, right? Like not him going out and punching a, a bad guy, but him recognizing this is human-like, but not human. So like competence is rewarded by Harry and like he, he appreciates that. And so like Rollins here, I think he certainly goes up a level in my book, but I think in Harry's as well, when he like, fig- he, he, you know, he worked out, it wasn't this kid, but there was a plan there, which again, kind of shysty. Even if he didn't do it, there's, op- there's ways that can fuck this kid. Even the good natured cops. Yeah. But um, I just like that he kind of sorted all that out, had, had, had it all sketched out, at least. You know, certainly not filled in the blanks, but there's an outline here of kid did, obviously didn't do it, but he was the closest one, so we'd definitely need to get his information. I don't know. I just like that. I like Rollins. Um, that I, same thing that Rollins is one of the yeah, good Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, the line I like, Harry said, you sure no one could have gone in and out? I was right here. Anyone went past me without noticing, they were a Jedi Knight or something. Or something, Harry muttered. He, uh, before this, I, I, partway through this interaction, he tells Molly he wants to talk to the cop alone. And she has stuff to do for the convention anyway. But so, you know, Rollins asks, like, the girlfriend, she gets you involved in this? And he explains that she's a daughter of a friend. You know, he said, and Harry says that the girl thinks she's innocent, thinks Nelson's innocent. Harry says that the girl thinks Nelson's innocent. The girl always thinks they're innocent, Dresden. <laughs> but yeah, there's evidence that says he isn't, and it's good enough to send a re- repeat offender upstate. You know, you know, Harry asked, what if I told you it was something weird? Well, what if he did? And that's why I, I hate when I do just read the whole chapter here, but like, we see it. Sometimes you just kind of have to. <laughs> um, yeah. The thing but, where sometimes you just need it. What if I told you it might be something weird? What if you did? Might be something that I could recognize if I could just get a look in the room. I might be able to help the kid. And Rollins squints at him. Think there's something spooky afoot? Told the girl I'd look into it. So I can't just let you in there. And then Harry convinces him to let him just open the door and let me look in. I won't take a step. Can't contaminate it. There's already been a bunch of people in and out. So Rollins, 
gives him a long level stare, sighs and clunks the chair down. Says, all right, not one step inside. And so Harry looks around, you know, there's blood everywhere. It's I mean, or there's a huge patch of blood and it's smeared all over the sink. It's like, you know, he tried to pull himself up. It was just an absolute, like it was an ass whooping. Like he, he just got, you know, beaten within an inch of his life here. And there's blood splatter all the way up the mirror. It's just not like, it's awful. And, you know, Harry makes sure it's unarmed. Like there was no knives and it was this bad, but you know, just broken ribs and some gashes and stuff, but like no stab wounds. And you know, Harry said, no kid did this. And Rollins just says it clearly wasn't a professional either. So does certainly narrow the suspect pool down a lot, but not enough. And, you know, he asks if someone, you know, Harry doesn't know who could have done it at this point yet. And Rollins tells him, all right, well, let's close the door. You know, we don't want people to, at the con to come over here and stare and be a problem. But Harry says, one more second. And he opens his sight, which we've seen before. All wizards with, you know, any level of power have access to the wizard's sight, the third eye, as you, as they say, and it is a spell like any other. But what you do is it basically shows you, it shows you what things actually are. So it breaks through glamours and all sorts of spells, and it gives you the seeming of things as well. Like you get kind of vibes from it, but it's indelible. So anything you see is stuck with you forever. He's seen beautiful things that are always, you know, fresh in his mind, but also some terrible things. And that's a reason why he doesn't use it all the time. But he looks around and he sees a shadow on the wall. He kind of hears the fight, you know, grunts and kind of cries for help. Kind of like, but it's like kind of an echo of it through, you know, obviously through a thick kind of veil of time and space. But here's kind of the bits of that there's tons of terror and pain unrecognizable mass with sledgehammer fists just brutality and pain is a, a glee a deliberate gleeful work of art harry describes it and again this is one of those things that he doesn't particularly want to see but has to and he shuts off his sight you know rollins is like you all right man yeah thanks what'd you see in there i'm not sure yet Something bad. This wasn't just some thug, was it? Maybe not. It could have been a person, I think. Someone really sick. Or maybe not. I don't know. And then he's kind of struggling to talk. And his thoughts aren't fully under control. He looks around and realizes that part of that feeling, that energy, isn't from the memory. It's drifting through the air now. And, you know, he says, Rollins, how many other cops are here? Just me now. He drops his hand to his gun. Again, like the trust he gives Harry here is, you know, he acts, talks a big game like he's not going to. Sorry. Puts his hand on his gun. Harry replies, we've got trouble. Shifting his staff to his right hand. The lights went out. All of them. At once, plunging the hotel into pure blackness. And the screaming started. It's a flashlight on. And Harry gives this kind of this description of the air where the flashlight was white and clean for about half a second, then dimmed down as though some sort of greasy soot had coated it. 
until the light, though still bright, was so vague and veiled that it accomplished little more than to cast a faint glow to maybe an arm's length from Rollins. What the hell? he said, and shook the light a few times. He had his hand on his gun, the restraining strap off, but he hadn't drawn it yet. Good man. He knew as well as I did that the hotel was going to have far more panicked attendees than potential threats. We'll try mine. So he turns on his amulet. And Holland stared at me for a second and said, what the hell is going on? And people start running. And as they go through, Rollins starts pushing people against the wall and saying, follow the wall. Stay that way to the door. Stay close to the wall until you get out. And is this smoke? No. Believe me, I know burning buildings. He gave me an odd look grabbed an older woman who was blindly passing and sent her off to follow the wall. And Harry's trying to kind of figure out what's going on. And he, he found a vaguely familiar kind of spell working, though I couldn't remember precisely where I'd encountered it before. And he closes his eyes and figures out which way it's coming from. Rollins asks, where are you going? Our bad guys this way, or something is. Maybe you'd better stay here to help those people get outside safely. Maybe you ought to shut your fool mouth, he replied, his tone of forced cheer. He looked scared, but he drew his gun and kept the barrel down close to his side. He held his mostly useless flashlight in his other hand. I'll cover you. And they head down the hall. People are still screaming, and the air gets colder. What's wrong? Rollins asked. Dark magic. A kind of ward trying to keep me from moving ahead. Harry's having physical difficulty moving into this area. Christ, magic. That isn't real. Are you with me or not? Crap. <laughs> you need me to push you or something? And it's coming from up ahead of us, the first conference room in the hall. The hall is set up for movies, so there's a lot of freaking people in there. God, it was packed in there. If the crowd panicked, he didn't finish the sentence, and he didn't need to. Chicago has seen more than a few deaths due to a sudden panic in a movie theater. So they keep moving, and it's getting harder and harder for Harry to move in. And inside the room came a sudden burst of terrified screams. Not the canned screams you get in horror movies. Real screams. Screams of such base, feral intensity that you could hardly tell they had come from a human throat. Screams you only really hear when there are terrible things happening. Rollins knew what they meant. The Merc began to do more than simply drag at me when I hit the doorway. The air seemed almost to congeal into a kind of gelatin, and it suddenly became a fight to keep my legs moving. I snarled in sudden frustration and transformed it into more will than I sent coursing down through my silver pentacle amulet. The soft radiance emanating from the symbol became a white and cobalt floodlight, driving back the gloom, burning it from my path. It left the large room still coated in shadow, but it was no longer the total occlusion of the magical mirth. The movie is still moving. It's still going. People are screaming. There are about 20 people in the room. People in pain. A man out of the chair. Somebody's got a broken arm. Straight ahead of me, there were bodies and blood. I couldn't see much of them. Three people were down. There was a lot of blood around. 
A fourth person, a young woman, crawled towards a door, making frantic, mewling sounds. A man stood over her. He was nearly seven feet tall and so thick with slabs of muscle that he almost seemed deformed. Not pretty bodybuilder muscle either, but the thick, dull slabs that came from endless physical labor. He wore overalls, a blue shirt, and a hockey mask, and there was a long, curved sickle in his right hand. As I watched, he took a pair of long steps forward, seized the whippering girl by her hair, and jerked her body into a backward bow. He raised the sickle in his right hand. Rollins didn't bother to offer him a chance to surrender. He took a stance not ten feet away, aimed, and put three shots into the masked maniac's head. The man jerked, twisting a bit, and released the girl's hair abruptly, tossing her aside. The maniac turned on Rollins, and even though the mask hit his features, the tilt of his head and the tension of his posture showed that he was furious. He went toward Rollins. Cop shot him four more times, flashes of bright white light burning the image, the maniac in the room, into my eyes. He brought the sickle down on Rollins. The cop managed to catch the force of it upon his long flashlight. Sparks flew from the steel case, but the light held. The maniac twisted the sickle so that the tip plowed a furrow across Rollins' forearm. The cop snarled, the flashlight spun to the ground. The maniac raised the sickle again. Harry Fazares him. Unseen power lashed from my staff, pure kinetic energy All that right. ripped through the air and hit the maniac like a wrecking ball. The blow drew, drove him back down the aisle, through the air. He hit the projector on its stand. It shattered. It went through without slowing down. He kept going, the flight of his passage tearing through the large projection screen and hit the back wall with a thunderous impact. There were a few more screams, the quick light sound of frightened feet, and people are fleeing the room. A second later, the room returned to normal. The lights back, the broken projector still spinning one re reel at a reduced speed. The loose tongue film slap, slap, slapping the broken casing. Rollins goes down and says, he's not here. Did you see him get a, did you see him go that way? Harry just shake this out. There's a dent in the wall, covered in, I don't know, some kind of goon, or some kind of slime. Ectoplasm. He's gone. And then he, some woman yells, help me. We've got a couple people who are injured. There's a girl laying on her side, sobbing hysterically. Harry helps the guy back into his wheelchair. And there's a boy whose guts are coming out. So Rollins takes care of him. Harry goes to the other girl. And he realizes her collarbone hurts. And he says, I know it hurts like hell, but you're going to be all right. It hurts, it hurts, 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 she panted. You'll be all right. Don't leave me. Don't leave. It's all right. I'm here. What the hell is this, Rollins said, panting. He looked around at, uh, He looked around him at the corpse, at the movie screen, at the dent in the wall beyond. That was the Reaper. The freaking Reaper. From the suburban slasher films. Freaking what kind Reaper of psycho dresses up as a Reaper and starts... His face twisted in sudden nausea. What the hell is this? Rollins, I said in a sharp voice. Call Murphy. My captain is the one who has to make the call on that one. He'll decide. Up to you. But Murphy and her boys might actually be able to do something with this. Your captain can't. And we aren't playing for pennies here. He picks up his radio. Call, makes a call. The girl is still in pain. My God, Rollins said again. He shook his head. My God, Dresden, what happened here? And then Harry sees the clear gelatin, the form, the physical form of ectoplasm. And he says, it'll evaporate in a few minutes. There would be nothing left behind. My God, Rollins whispered again, his voice still stunned. What happened here? Yeah. Good question. I, uh, crazy, crazy. Certainly, like I said, it certainly is accelerating. 
as we get in this, our first real yeah physical confrontation. Uh, well, I guess there's the car crash, but uh, big bad fights. Certainly, the things are progressing as we get more Dresdeny here. Mm-hmm. Oh, anything uh, to finish off that chapter, or you want to hop straight into the analysis? Let's hop into analysis. So what do you have? Anything and thoughts on the ritual being interrupted and that stuff with Molly, the comp, the phone conversation with Molly? I think the ritual being interrupted is sort of like it's a blessing in disguise because later he realizes that if he had tried the ritual, he wouldn't have been able to do it. It would have blown up in his face. He said like if he was too out of it to remember to unplug the phone he wasn't as focused on doing it yeah. right as he thought but also he talks about later where you know whatever he's doing he just he would have fucked us up big time mean? i don't remember why but if it was because he was so yeah, tired yeah that's that's i think that's we're referencing the same thing i think but it was yeah because okay. between his fatigue and his head injury he wasn't as wasn't as clear and ready to do do it as he thought he might have been yeah. I was making sure I didn't miss something. Sorry. Nope. We had the same thing. Yeah, she uh, masterfully man- manipulates him. Even as he's agreeing to go, he recognizes he's being manipulated, but still goes along with it. He uh, Four hours of preparation go away, but not a whole lot. Certainly, we, we talked a little bit about these two chapters, and we're going to talk more in the next section <laughs> about this chapter eight, I think, for sure. But anything in the short term on that? kind of thing about molly there's something more with her she so one of the things actually what popped into my head when i was kind of just her attitude how she's approaching things how she talks i guess it's a seven eight nine sort of thing it's sort of an overarching thing of just how we encounter her the way she behaves really reminded me of i can't remember her name but the summer lady the one that ended up dead Maeve. what oh oh the summer lady sorry that was aurora aurora Aurora. yeah 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 she was just so flippant and just very much like it was sort of a weird vibe, and I, that's what popped up ahead when I was reading it. And especially kind of like, I was like, oh, shit, it, when Mouse started growling, I was like, oh, God, is there something that's more That's an here? interesting connection, because also the first time we meet Aurora is with through deception. Yeah, no, I yeah. like that. So that was a, it's very playing, pull, and the first time we meet, when we meet Aurora, she's also pulling on the hearts. Yes, yeah, exactly. She's manipulating Harry. She's like yeah. trying. Yeah, it, that is definitely a great connection. I like it a lot. Yeah, no, I love those narrative, like, like you know it's like poetry it rhymes um i'm gonna reference that george lucas quote like four days out of seven every week because it's so good (laughs) you can apply it to so many different situations i uh yeah most of my thoughts on that chapter are yikes related but yeah i liked your thought on cabrini green and kind of harry seeing himself in that neighborhood that was just a great connection as well that um, i just wanted to pat you on the back again the connection to Charity is obviously, I mean, she looks like her is is the connection, but like he hates Charity and he continues to really like hammer that, that comparison. Well, because Charity also hates him. I think it's more that she hates him. And so he just is, he's afraid of her, I think. That's true. He doesn't hate her. He just wants to stay out of her way. That's very true. I like, like he doesn't mention that she's drunk because that doesn't matter. To, I mean, obviously, you know, she's safe. Like she's not. To him, it's it's not like his, you know. I mean, I, I again, he just he mentioned it to us, but with respect to her, like he's there, he's mad at her, obviously. But like, it, it's very easy to throw that log on the fire, and he never does. Again, like a, a maturity 
It's just there's no yeah. good reason. Well, and for then it, he talks about I mean? her like her lip, her tongue ring, and so that's why we learn why she's slurring her words. No, I think she's slurring her words because she's drunk. Is she? I don't think you don't slur because of tongue. But she she it sounds like maybe she's not slurring, but she's she can't say the S's. Yeah, I I, I didn't read it that oh, way. Okay. I, I I certainly there's no confirmation that it is yeah. is what I said. So that you're not wrong textually. He mentioned the clicking with the tongue ring. Yeah. I uh I didn't pick up I didn't read it that way, but I also don't have one and no, I've never had one thing. either, but it does affect the way people talk, yeah. No, that's fair. Stick a rod through your thing that makes words sound right. <laughs> your words will will not always sound right, potentially. So no, that's fair. Again, Harry recognizes that she's damseling and he's like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have to do this. But again, it just seems like a, a more mature in a lot of ways. Yeah, we talked a lot during the chapter itself. So, And the other thing I notice in these chapters is Harry is using fuck a lot more frequently. Yeah. He's like just more frustrated with the world. That's fair. Yeah, he's seen he's seen more of it. Yeah, and he's he's definitely cynical is not the right word, but he's not. I don't want to say he's not. He's still optimistic, but it's definitely yeah. It's just the more shit that happens to you, the harder edge edges you usually get typically, and that's not normal. But again, that's like really well done and subtle enough that it's not over the top. But I I like that catch as well. Mm. Boyfriend Nelson, his and Molly's interactions are interesting and well described. And I like even if even Harry is picking up on relationship body language, you know, it's obvious. But um, yeah, it has to be pretty obvious. But I do. uh, I do like it. It's like a meme that like this woman married me and sleeps in my bed and has sex with me regularly. She's she's she married me 10 years ago. I can't tell. Does she really like me or is she just Canadian? Like, <laughs> is she just being nice? Like, but when Harry picks up all of this info, like it is on the loudspeaker blaringly and it only takes Nelson a couple seconds to figure it out himself. But yeah, again, we talked about, we, we talked a lot about Harry's navigation of that conversation, which we liked. Anything else there? I think we'd skip right ahead to their carpenter okay. house. It, it's, it doesn't, it, it felt kind of like very cinematic and not necessarily not always not a good way not a bad way but like all the kids one by one or two by two walking up it felt it reminded me of the so long farewell song oh yeah <laughs> like, i mean very obviously totally different in every single way but just like they're like hey here's the two kids hey here's the two yeah. kids hey you know what i mean again not in a bad way like in a way that's not realistic but not a problem if i'm looking reading and watch a story watching a movie does that make sense like one of those suspension of disbelief things that you just go with because like yeah we're gonna meet all the kids and stuff i i don't know how'd you take that i really i kind of felt like it was a little bit of the parade but it also gave us kind of a good frame of reference for molly and that family it's Harry's referenced it before i think but like how much love and how many how busy that house that home is right and we get a piece of that you know we get in there at bedtime and it's going crazy yeah no i i again i i reference mentioned it because it is kind of tropey like you at the parade but i still loved it and i like how all the kids had very distinct personalities and we got one or two lines like you got a little bit about, about each kid that didn't feel forced or like fake i really really well done i liked it a lot and it's good to check in with all those kids and see harry again And the remembering Bill. That's spectacular. I liked your reading of it as well. I loved, I love when you read it. <laughs> we get a, that's, 
some of our most positive feedback is your your reading oh, of some of this stuff. Oh, thanks. But the way Mars James Marsters reads that line that I'm Amanda is yeah. like I don't know if you li- listened to it this week, but yeah, like it's so good and like just a very different reading of the line, yeah. but not not better or like as far as like n- narratively, but I just is really funny. But I also <laughs> just I uh, I mean I love the moment. Like what a great moment as well. Yeah, no, it's it's a one it's a wonderful, absolutely, absolutely. It's just, I mean, it's fantastic. I it was it was a it was a good, it was slightly tropey, but it was also a reminder of this family. Oh, it's it's awesome, and I I mean I'm, I'm you actually might be on the wrong end of the generations for this. You 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 know what TV tropes website is, right? No. Oh my god, I knew it. I, I would imagine. Anyone who went to college around my year after, this is a way that if you ever have 16 hours in a row to kill and you want to open up 49 Chrome tabs, Tell me about this. go to tvtropes.com. Yeah, it is just like, it goes through and like tells you about different tropes that you'll see. And again, we use that word and I've used it and I've even said like, I don't want it. Narrative beat, I think is kind of the or storytelling beat is kind of the way I've just, I've used that term to try to not be pejorative, but it, it comes out as a pejorative, but it really, that website isn't all of them. But it just like goes so in depth into all the ways that this is, you know, either references something similar to other shows or like, this is how shows often do this. And I was spent some time on the, the Dresden files version of that, or, you know, section of that today or yesterday, whatever, but it's, uh, but it felt, it felt homey. And it, I think it did a good job books aren't supposed to describe people taking poops, you know, although <laughs> Nelson got close. But you know what I mean? Like, it's not real life. It's telling a, a story and we have to believe what's happening. And so that's why, like, I didn't mind it, even though I, I can't imagine it happening in re- real life per se, but it, I would watch it the hell out of it in a movie. And I, I loved how they did it. It gave everyone a little bit of space. And this is a family that clearly is important to Harry, even if he doesn't interact with them a ton, you know? And so I, I love that we get to see them a little bit older than we saw them last time. and. Yeah, again, her, her remembering that he's Bill is probably because she remembers he's Harry, right? Like, <laughs> like that, that's actually 100%. why she remembers it, um, which I love. And, but yeah, no, that, that's a great line and that whole thing. And then, you know, all the way through to Daniel. The who boss kid. The new boss kid. Has the boss kid who, who yells a lot more. But I'm very sympathetic to him, right? Like, and not, not that he's not wrong or a jerk here, but like, he was thrust into a yeah. role he wasn't ready for you know when, there, when there's that many kids they say when you go from two kids to three you go you move from man to man to zone but like you can't zone eight kids or whatever it is like you just like but the thing it told me is that molly took on a lot oh yeah for sure which also you know leads potentially to some of the stress and of her coming home right like yeah it is a lot to like, you know, having your kid babysit and stuff is great. Again, I've, I've never haven't been a parent and I have no idea how the fuck you guys make those little things into human beings. So like, I would never question or, or you know, how, how you do that. But it is, it, you know, at, at, certainly she was involved a lot and it added a lot of stress because we see because we see what that same stress is doing to Daniel. Right. Yeah. Also, she was in the typical gender role and he is not. And when he's like, where have you been? He's acting like her father, too. Which I think in this family is probably not abnormal. I don't, again. The, the typical gender roles? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's it's not nefarious. It's not mean-spirited. I, I don't necessarily think it's even right or wrong. If people, Women are allowed to, 
fucking stay at home. I, that that would be awesome. I'm really excited to find my woman who can keep me in the life that I've become accustomed to. <laughs> um, but like, you know, what I mean, like traditional generals aren't in and of themselves wrong and no. bad. But I agree with what you're saying that like Daniel kind of takes his patriarchal tone with his older sister that mm-hmm. for sure. And again, it's not a, it's not, this isn't Jim. This is Jim writing a flawed character, a kid trying to navigate his way through this. But he's also writing a, a, a typical Catholic family. Oh, sure. But yeah, no, I, I just, I, I don't think it's, you know, some of the Harry stuff earlier on, we've kind of, and we had this conversation with some of the listeners that like going back and forth between like, what's, what's Jim and what's Harry mm-hmm. intentional, you know? And like, trying to navigate that mess. I think this one is all Daniel. Like, like I think Jim recognizes this kid's being a dick, but I'm going to make him a dick here because it, it shapes. It suits the the character. This. Yeah. And in this scenario, this character is under these pressures and he reacts this way as a what? 14, 15 year old kid. I agree with what you're saying. And he's a douchebag, but I like it. It, Because it works. Yeah, exactly. Now I I liked that. I, I loved kimono seeing Harry going up and getting a regular robe on. They were definitely having night send-off sexy time, right? I'm guessing, yeah. They were in the shower together. That's that's the reading? That's definitely the reading I got. So she's extra mad now. She just had a stress release and now fucking Harry's over here. So we're back to square one on that front. But I don't love, I don't like, don't even like Michael completely removing himself. Does sort of make this. sense as has someone who has been a teenage girl. A teenage girl's relationship with her mother is almost always wrought with tension and strife. And it has nothing to do with anything other than she's a teenage girl and this is her mother. And it's one of those things that if dad got involved, it would obviously contribute more problems. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, in this particular, like, this exact tete-a-tete where, I I guess, I I don't know. I just, the, the line where he says, ladies... I try not to involve myself in these discussions. Like it did seem a little, the first time I listened to it, I was like, get yourself involved with your daughter's life. But then I was, then I did think back to like, for me, it wasn't as bad as a teenager. Cause I was, I, I wasn't a rebel. I didn't, you know, go out of my way to cause trouble. I didn't, I didn't have a conflict personality, but I witnessed it in our household. And it would always get you got your you got your halo caught on a lot no, of doorways. No, I mean though. no, because I I was I would I had much more conflict with my siblings than with my mother. But I would totally you know get into arguments with our mom. But like our sister definitely had higher conflict levels, and it always escalated when our dad got involved. That's very true. And I think that's that was sort yeah, of no, the, it was it was never it was never a good thing when he that was, was sort of the perspective I saw and he saw here because he did talk about how you know he thought. That the punishment of her doing community service was enough, enough of an embarrassment. And she was repentant. And her mom was like, no, she, I know how she needs to be living her life. But, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's absolutely like, that is a conversation he should be involved in with his wife. Like, right. Like that's, I feel like he dropped the ball here. But I don't think it's as bad as it could be. Yeah. I just, you're, you're right that like, you definitely don't, it'll escalate. If he, you know, jumps in on either side, it would escalate for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. But just the way he just seems so like bitches be chatting, you know, like like it just it just seems like he's he's so flippant about it. Where he's like, find a way to resolve your troubles before I get back. Solve this yeah. shit before I get back. It just seems like I know he cares, but it, and it just seems so uncaring and so uninvolved. And you know, the fact that he even said like, 
he thought community service was enough. Charity didn't. And like, to the, to the point where like Charity over the top abused her daughter, whatever. That's how Molly felt anyway. Molly's perspective is she's over top abused her till she ran away from home and is presumably living on couches or on Nelson's. Like that means he wasn't involved enough in that conversation and that discussion either, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of why this whole chapter rubs me the wrong way because I don't mind when Charity says like, but Michael surely ain't going to leave, you know, how he still is leaving even in the middle of this. I actually don't mind that because that's like, that's his calling and his purpose, yeah. I guess, you know, and what like he has to do and it's it's a higher responsibility than anything on this earth. It's kind of like I, I, I yeah. in his perspective. Right. I, I get I get that. So I actually don't ding him for leaving here. I like that he encourages Harry to talk to Molly. Actually, I like that a lot, too. That ma- that makes sense because he recognizes, you know, somebody who positive influence. Yeah. And like not even again, like I had a conversation with a kid who, oh, a little bit older in our club. He hasn't played for me for a couple of years, but like I coached him a few years back and like, he's thinking about moving to a different club. And yeah, we had, I just had a chat with him and I wasn't trying not to have him go. I literally like told him like, if you decide you're going to go, I'll drive you to the first practice. Like I, that's fine. But like, I think you aren't make a list, go through this. And I just kind of gave him some perspective on like, I, I think he's in the right place to be the best man he can be. And he might be a better water pole player if he goes somewhere else. It, but I don't think so. I don't, but also, but th- I understand that argument at least, but there really isn't an argument that this is the bl- best place for him as a human. And I want him to write down pros and cons and weigh it. And I talk, you know, make the decision for yourself. Like I t- actually talked to his parents and they're hoping he stays with us, but they're, they're you know, obviously like, it's not them. It's, it's their kid and they're going to support him. And I, I support that hundred percent too. If you're not, kids not doing something actively damaging, like this might be a little bit, but it, who knows? The grass is always greener. Similarly, like, you know, Molly hasn't seen Harry in a couple of years, but he, he doesn't need to like tell her what to do, but just give some perspective and chat a little bit. And maybe it sounds logical to have a chat with your mom, right? Like that's, again, kind of all I want to on it where that's, that's the approach he's looking for. And it does make sense because you know, Harry doesn't have kids, but. And that's good. That's, that's good delegating. That's good dadding. It's just the rest of it, it is over. And it's, it is funny though, that Harry is tasked with this who never really had much of a relationship with parents and definitely didn't have a relationship with his parents as a teenager. I think that actually is like in the pro corner to this, right? Cause he doesn't have, no, I think it definitely is, but it's just, it's interesting. Oh yeah, no, for sure. But he doesn't have any of that. Again, like I, I, my relationship with my parents as a teenager was fine, I guess. I, I don't really think of, I don't yeah. remember a lot of things, but like, I don't think of it at any real, real negative stuff right but that's my lived experience is not anyone else's but harry also he doesn't have any baggage from that parent wise right he's got parent baggage but not teenage angst baggage uh with parents so it's definitely i mean i guess he's got all the justin stuff but that's a different kind of baggage that i think you know again i think he can give good perspective and again just that's what all you want to do in these scenarios you don't want to push a kid you just give him some perspective and have them ask you questions and try to be honest and support right. them. And that's like if kids making decisions and being mature and making big calls is like, that's a great thing. Even if they make the wrong call and fall on their face, you want to be there to help them up. But, yeah. but that's still like, that's a part of the process. That's a part of growth. So I, I hope Molly talks to her mom. I hope Ortiz doesn't go to a different club, but like at the end of the day, they, they got to live their life and learn to grow and make mistakes. So and that's the thing where it's making mistakes is a large part of growing up. 
And that's what Charity doesn't seem to understand. And that's why I'm disappointed that because Michael- Because she wants to protect her daughter. And I, I mean, you know, that's just but, that. But Michael could have helped. He sounds like he was no, absentee. That's very true. He was absentee post-possession arrest. And yeah. in my in that description, you know, in his description, it sounds like he was pretty absentee. And that, again, this is a character that I love. An emotionally absent, absentee. Yeah. Not necessarily physically, but it sounds like he was- yeah, and he also does travel, and he does have has, yeah. have sword will carry, right? I mean, he does have those problem issues as well. He does have to travel, but like I said, this is I don't I don't love Michael here. No, um, but it's I don't it's, think he's a bad guy. He's still like he's still no, but it one is also my a part humans. for his character. This isn't outside of the realm of Michael. No, it's, his, it's not poor characterization. It's just no a character being a guy. I don't particularly yeah and that's okay 100 percent love in this exact scenario and yeah no it's it's fine it's not a problem at all it's as far as like the writing or the narrative the storytelling and i just yeah i'm disappointed you're not mad at him you're just disappointed in him which i was having a reddit conversation with somebody where they were like i made a just a, a brain dead like a bozo brain fart error wrote the wrong title down and someone corrected me as i got it I'm swimming, I'm swimming against the currents of time, something like that, you know, like, I, that's why I made a mistake. And they, uh, you know, someone's like said they're going to report me to the wardens or something. And someone else like, no, report him to Michael. And I was like, no, don't you dare. <laughs> and I said that exact thing. Like, can you imagine Michael saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> like, just, like, absolutely heart wrenching. Um, oh, hundred percent. So it's funny that you said I, I'm that to him, but I am absolutely. So turn it for a fair play, Michael. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that. I love the bit with Molly's shoes. Again, it just like shows yeah. like an immaturity. It's, yes, it shows her youth. Exactly. My mom will kill me if I get mud into the house. Girlfriend, you have like four tattoos. You're pierced. Your pair is pink and blue. You think that's going to be her big concern? And you've presumably been living in sin with this Nelson character. Right? Right, exactly. I, don't, I don't know where she's actually been living, but no, it doesn't sound like she... Uh, has a whole lot going on. She dropped out of school. She says she doesn't have any money. She's working on this con. Presumably it's a labor of love for all these people. Mm-hmm. Um, They're probably not she, making much money. Yeah. Hopefully she gets her, be- her, her beak, her beak wet at some point, but, but yeah, that was all. I just wanted to mention that about Michael. Yeah, definitely. Again, that you're welcome. The, the worst, not worst, just the least exciting end of a chapter ever. Yeah. Back to Harry's helping. Yeah, no, I, I, again, it's, I don't have a problem with it. It's just things I notice as I'm going through. Yeah, no, definitely. I love everything about that Rollins conversation. Yeah. But especially when, you know, Harry does his thing and clearly he's emotionally distraught. But all Rollins sees, again, I love thinking about these moments in this series from other people's perspective. And this one, Harry's using the site and like physically being like, physically reacting to poking his head in the door of a restroom. Yeah. Rollins sees something happening to Harry and asks him like, are, are you all right? And, you know, he says like consultant guy thinks he thinks he's a wizard. And then, you know, says he can't, you know, gives him shit. Again, we, we talked about how great that back and forth is. I loved it, but he gives Harry shit the whole time. Doesn't, acknowledged magic doesn't acknowledge his power or anything like that and then when harry says we got trouble like or before when he says how many other cops are here like clearly we have trouble he immediately he's already got his hand on his gun trusting harry's judgment here like 
yeah, I mentioned earlier, I, I like try to defer to experts whenever possible. Cause why would I know more than someone who's studied something and been doing something for a long time? Sometimes maybe, but I generally don't start with that assumption. Right. And he says magic's not real. Even after this, he says he, he thinks he's a wizard before this, but immediately things are spooky. He defers to the wizard, which I love. He, he's seen what Murphy's dad could do. Yeah. I mean, his, his safe brain is saying there's no such a thing as magic. There's got to be a logical response, a logical reason for all of this stuff. And I think it's a completely reasonable thing for him to do. When, uh, things, are, when things are normal and mundane, and then when things get spooky, yeah. that, that little piece of the mind that he's blocked off comes out and says, oh no, there's spooky shit out there. Oh yeah. This and guy he, knows he, what's going he on. saw it with, with whatever it was, some sort of demon type creature that Murphy's dad killed and then the sunlight destroyed it. Yep. So he's seen it, but... I, yeah, no, I, but I just love that he immediately, you know, the pretense of him being tough guy, badass cop in charge, no, magic's not real, goes away. What's going on? How can, you know, what do we got to do here? And yeah, it's just, even, again, like I said, later, as they're going through and Harry has a magic light on and his flashlight's not working because of the Merc, like, he says like, magic, that ain't real. And then like, he's like, we're in the middle of a fucking magic fight, bro. But he's still, even while saying that, is giving Harry credit. And I just, again, I just, I really love, I like Rollins, but I like that kind of juxtaposition of those two, like, competing parts of his brain. Like, magic's not real. Holy shit, there's magic around. Magic's not real. But I see magic. Magic's not real. You know, like, kind of fighting in his head there, which is, which is just great. All right. Uh, last chapter? Anything? Yes. Okay. He's familiar with this magic. Have we seen this magic before? The Merc. He says it's that this black magic, that not necessarily the Merc, but just the the this type of magic, the, the darkness, this person's magic. Because sorry, go ahead. The thing that popped into my head. And when Harry was in Faye, in the land of the Fae. And he was going to the house. Never, never. Where the... Fa- fairy is the land of the Fae. Or the okay, never, fairy never. then. Then where he was going to the house where the three old, two old crones were. The winter queens, or the summer queen and the winter queen, I think. No, the, and yeah, there was there something. Were, there were queens. It was the mothers. Mothers. There we go. Sorry. And they, they, there was something that attacked. And it was this big, bulking creature with dark energy. Am I making this up in my head? Could have sworn there was some sort of, in that, that realm there was that sort of thing there was there was the unicorn that they saw wasn't there something else but it it wasn't actually the unicorn it was the centaur it was koric in disguise i think okay talos was the ogre or whatever troll or whatever in disguise that was that was the only thing i could think of where that that the bad energy could come from it's more, I think it's just dark magic in general has a kind of different feel than positive light magic. Not to the extent of necromancy and the cold. I think it's different, but I, I think he's felt, I think he's just felt black magic before is my. He said it, it was a familiar kind of magic. That's why. Yeah, I no, which means that maybe that's a perpetrator that we, we know, right? Because we know that he said that at the last novel, right? Where this didn't yeah. feel like their spell work so no i liked i like that a lot it's an interesting catch that like 
you have like, you know, they have this in Harry Potter too. Dumbledore mentions that about they're going in the cave. Like you, you can kind of tell it's not less so like a thumbprint, but it's kind of like, like a footprint, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like you got the same boots as this footprint may not be you, but it's, it's one of the odds. Very similar. Exactly. Right. That's kind of how I, how I think of it. But um, no, that's, that's interesting. And I don't think we've seen the light dampening spell. So I don't know. I just mean like, you know, I mean, it could be the, the practitioner or the practice, but I don't think we've seen either of those. So yeah, that's okay. Just, it was just something I was throwing out, but he feels like he feels a no, but he feels a connection to it, which means maybe he has to be like Justin or something. Fucking a somebody might be. All right. Good stuff. Um, yeah, lots always of love stuff. a good force RA, and I do too. Again, the ectoplasm that was good, good catch. At this point, that would be I, it's pretty elementary kindergarten stuff list, but <laughs> I'm glad you got it. That chapter we didn't read, so I don't want to talk about that. And yeah, no, good stuff. What do you think in general? I usually say it's the beginning of it analysis, but so far so good. Obviously, there's uh, yeah. you know there's a lot that happened, and there's a there's we're just throwing more gasoline on the fire <laughs> yeah, awesome. no it's definitely we're gonna have some stuff we're gonna have some yikes in, in a moment here but beyond that there's some really clever stuff like you said the, the yeah interesting kids and that back and forth with rollins kind of calling back to their just again like each novel is almost better and better from an author's again i'm not an author but i can at least i'm not a quarterback either but i can tell you Tom Brady was better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know what I mean? I, um, <laughs> like I can, it, it's just, it's just so well done. And, you know, certainly I know we have some writers in our audience here, but like Eliza, for instance, but it just, it just seems like it's so well done. It's so clever. A lot of the things he does that it's just really, and it's impressive. Each, each novel gets more and more kind of mature. Isn't the right word, but it is like more, Developed, yeah, like just a really well-crafted novel, so narrative so far. Yikes. So, uh, did you have anything on the yikes front this week? <laughs> <laughs> She's 17. She um, is. <laughs> I, I literally said that out loud while going through it every single time. But yeah. Definitely 17. Well, uh, on, honestly, I mean, obviously that makes it significantly worse, but like, mm-hmm. even if she was 20, the way he like so thoroughly and consistently hits on her sexuality. Yeah. It's, it's disarming and overwhelming, even though, even if she wasn't. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. It right? makes it like, even more uncomfortable. Um, so much cringe. Yeah, for sure. You know, you want to go through some of the specifics or you want to do a cup, do any that jumped out specifically or just. She talks about her boobs too much, talking about the piercings and the tips of her breasts, which was a little uncomfortable. Um, you get used to that turn of phrase for sure. Oh, dear goodness. But he also like, there's a couple points where he says something about like, what do you say? He he refers multiple times about how young she is. And it's I'm trying to find the spot where he's, you know, 
think about things I shouldn't think about. And I mean, the comment he makes to her on the front porch, I didn't think that was as yikes, where he says, your piercings would set off any metal detector with the name and you're featuring them in parts of your anatomy your parents wish you didn't yet realize you had. Nipples? is. That's the second time that he's like assumed she's had lower piercings, right? Like, which is just weird. Well, no, I was thinking that he was talking about her boobs on that one. Okay, but, but I mean, when would it, you not a, wish no? Like, what your parents wish you didn't know you had nipples? Like, that's I don't know. It just seems like strange to me. Well, like, I mean, maybe it's, I'm projecting weird sexuality on this bed. <laughs> apparently, it Yikes. was just yeah, and I mean, it's you know he he does talk about how you know she looks. Well, yeah, I mean, like she is, and literally, like the first description we get is that so we, she's built like a brick house, which I yeah. actually granted very well. Butcher could have been like me until very recently. I didn't know that that was specifically breasty, but that term is refers to busty, busty. Um, I like breasty <laughs> specifically, which again, it's a child, and that's the first thing you're, you you mention, which. Again, I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt because that's a word. I literally, I didn't know what that meant. So if I didn't know, maybe other people don't know. But that's like the first description we get of her. <laughs> like, or among the first. It's from the song Brick House. Sure. And he actually mentions her like measurements and that she's got a rack. Oh, no, I understand that. I just didn't put it all together. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. In my life until like literally like a month ago, it came up in an online conversation. But yeah, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's, he's also saying that charity has a rack. That's <laughs> Which true. I think it's kind of funny. Like, we get, this is the section, obviously, of our pod that we get the most pushback on. And yeah. in the past, again, we also are getting better at the way we describe and explain things as well. Mm-hmm. But like, like, nobody's perfect. I get that. Like, 17 year old girls can be pretty and like, you could acknowledge they're pretty and that's okay. Right. I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's not, that's fine. But like he's not talking about like this oh, is I tap that, but he keeps having to remind himself that she's too young. Yeah, this is just very over the top in my mind. Yours obviously true too as well. And it's just like again, I want to explain that. Like you don't have to be a you know, like chased all the time. You're allowed to have sexuality and yeah. see sexuality in people. It's just overwhelming in these chapters, is kind yeah, of how when I felt when about it. It was like that with um Susan and Sheila. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. It was like, okay, you know, he just, you know, he's checking her out. It didn't necessarily bother me. But because she's a a 17 year old and he knows she's 17 and he's known her since she was a little girl, it just makes it super cringy. Yeah, I mean, it it, it definitely does. And he also has a line later at the con where he says the vampire girls. Yeah. I can't remember the line. He says something. Let me find it. Two girls, both too young for me to think adult thoughts about sidled by. Yeah. I guess I remember that worse than that was. That It was, I mean, it just... It, it goes on to talk about a lot of skin bare and stuff. And, you know, it's not the worst I've ever read, but it is very cringy uh, in my perspective. And this is from a perspective of, okay, so we grew up in a town that was really close to a large marine base, and my friends and I would go to the mall, and grown-ass Marines would hit on my, you know, sophomore and high school friends. 
And I had, you know, 16, 15 and 16 year old friends, quote unquote, dating 25 year olds. And that was just gross to me back then. And it's still gross to me. It's even grosser to me. Um, and that was sort of where this kind of like energy came from. It was just super cringy and gross to me. Yeah, no, for sure. I, it's yikesy also in a way that we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's similar, but just obviously she and he are going to interact further this novel. So we'll you know put a pin in that and see how those interactions change or progress. Mm-hmm. Obviously, his actions with her were all fine. Again, you, know, yeah. you, you, you talked about the conversation they had on the front porch. And then obviously he kind of threatens her a little bit, but not really. I felt we kind of talked, touched on that mm-hmm. a minute, a minute he ago. He does it like, politely as he tells Michael. Yeah. And I love that. So I, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see how that progresses. Obviously she looks very, you know, she, she looks. She's living a life that is older than a 17 year old. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, you know, she's run away from home. She's dropped out of school. She's got so, her alternative kind of look, which is yeah, fine. And that that's just definitely you want that look to be noticed. And, you know, she, so it, we'll see how that progresses. I think it, it can very easily turn, not less yikesy, but kind of con- contextualize mm-hmm. depending on how the, they progress that relationship. Right. I feel like. Yes. Kind of puts. Um, pre- really, and, and the thing is, is this is not us judging her in any way. I have multiple piercings and, you know, I prefer dark weird clothes and it's not anything in regards to judging this style or the piercings or anything like that it's the it's not we're not judging her we're judging the response to her physical appearance and the things that are in the word in the written text yeah no for sure i and i i i don't i don't don't feel like we did that but it's, it's important like, no i don't think so we i don't think we did either but i just wanted to point that out because as someone who does have a kind of a punky gothy kind of style who has piercings who is often portrayed as negative simply because you know i that i'm i'm an idiot i'm dumb i'm you know a weirdo because of the way i dress and because of my piercings that's that i wanted to you know clarify that about molly i have no judgment on what she wears and how she wears it the biggest thing is the fact that she's seventeen, a seventeen-year-old girl, and she's being creep, like not creeped on, but like this kind of perspective and the and the the way it's described is just a little uncomfortable for me. Yeah, no, for sure, and it's important that like even as a seventeen-year-old, she's allowed to express her sexuality and the way she dresses and stuff like that, and like she's That's allowed right. to try to look sexy and. And so that's kind of why I tried to give Harry a little bit of rope for like recognizing what she wants people to recognize. Mm-hmm. He just went a little over the top with it. It's like, again, that's one of the pushbacks we've gotten of like, oh, you know, like he's just, he's just a grown man. Da, 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 and but... He's supposed to look sexy and like, you know, like he's dealing with pretty women inside. Like, yeah, sure. You are. That's okay. Like you can express yourself however you want. And obviously you don't want to over-sexualize someone because of what they're wearing, but like, it's important. You know, if she is wearing, she has her look for a certain reason. And mm-hmm. part of that is she thinks it's appealing probably. Right. I mean, and, and clearly she probably the, thinks she likes the way it looks. Exactly. So like, I, I don't fault Harry for 
acknowledging and recognizing that it's a pretty girl. It's the fact that he just completely, A, recognizes she's too young and then co- continues to just hammer it over and over and over. Like if it was one line, it would be like creep show, a little creep show, but like not the end of the world. Yeah. It's just like, I feel like it's just so over the top in this section. And that's why, I mean, I, I remember some of the, some, you know, some of the y- yikesy stuff moving forward, which is again, part of our angle and why I wanted your perspective on these mm-hmm. novels. But I don't recall the very specifics that we'll get into the weeds as we go forward. That's why I'm, I have some ideas of how I think the rest of the novel goes, but I don't really recall. So I really am interested in seeing how that relationship and his interactions with her progress. I, I like, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, and I kind of, maybe I just feel a little bit protective of Molly from my own life experiences, because the other thing I was a swimmer and a water polo player, I would spend hours and hours on pool decks in a swimsuit. And while I wasn't anything to look at, there were some girls that I, you know, played polo with who were much more developed than me. And the creepy things you would hear grown ass men saying was really just uncomfortable. And this very much is, is that it's grown ass men saying uncomfortable things about young girls. And so, I mean, this particular instance, uh, yes, I feel very protective of Molly because of my own life experiences and how life was for me when I was a 15, 16 and 17 year old girl. And because that's you're young and dumb at that age. (laughs) And that was that is a lot of what it is, is that I feel very protective of her, even though she's a you know, she's just a fictional character. It's that whole concept of the 17-year-old girl who's trying to act older than her age, which, I mean, every 17-year-old girl has probably done that. And that's the, it just brings out my protective instinct where it's just, Harry, stop being a creeper. No, for sure. I mean, and I've said that in real life when I have, you know, friends, male and female, who say inappropriate things about people that are too much too young, I will say something. It's like, "Mm, they're a child. Stop, they're a child. And it's just, that's just my perspective on it. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I, I coach a sport where children are in speedos and, you know, mm-hmm. tight one piece swimsuits and stuff. And like, it, it, you definitely are taken aback sometimes <laughs> by the commentary. Mm-hmm. And it's no boy. Now again, like let kids be kids. Certainly again, in her case, she's on the brink of adulthood and, where you know but that doesn't excuse no the level of creep show that just is just over the top here in my mind and i yeah i mean it i mean it it is just it's uncomfortable he's not mm-hmm. being like a super perv whatever but he, it is still uncomfortable and that is that is the key that i uh, i noticed every single time i went through it it was just yeah. uncomfortable and we had talked about this the other day where like every t- we go through it a lot because of this pod and it's great. And I love the experience I get digging real deep into it, but mm-hmm. it just pops more and more every time. You go yes. It. It's really, really clearly evident in there. Beyond that, anything else? Generally good stuff with Murphy. I liked. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of the things that he's getting so good about with Murphy is describing her as strong, emphasizing her strength, that she might be a wee little thing, but she's strong. And I, and for that, I really, really like that. Yeah. He doesn't describe her as an aunt anymore. Like, <laughs> No, um, she's just a beautiful, strong woman. 
Yeah. And she fucking is. She's a badass. I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> One of these days. One of these days I'll eventually, you know. Eat your Wheaties. Yeah. If I get grow new knees, <laughs> I'll be able to do cool shit. Oh, goodness. Um, beyond that, anything else to, in that section? Or you want to move on to oh, some quotes? That was, that was, that was the yikesy shit for me. Yeah, for sure. And I know a lot of my perspective on the yikes has to do with my own experience, but that's sort of what real invents. That's real and valid. Like, that's yeah. Valid. And that's sort of what this pod is about is sort of how we perceive it through our own lens. Mm-hmm. And remember though, like our introduction to Molly, I think it was the introduction. Maybe it wasn't. The first time we saw her is she climbed up in the treehouse and she was well, the first. Her the first time was that we we saw her at all was the phone call where she talked about the breast fairy, mm. and then That's she climbed right. up. And then you know in the treehouse where she's you know she's changing and she talks about sex with Harry. So like this character is definitely the problematic part of the good, the great, the problematic so far, or at least he's using her to tell that part of the story to give him some credit potentially, mm-hmm. but we'll have to, uh, like I said, I, I want to keep a pin on in it because I do know, like I said, I know what happens broad strokes. I obviously know a lot of the minutia. None of it's going to surprise me, but I want to look really deep into the specifics of that relationship as this novel progresses. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, what, um, what'd you have for a quotes of the week? Too many. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. I know the first is, Silence and focus ruled. I was ready. And then the fucking phone rang about a foot from my ear. Isn't good enough. I got up to dress and told Mouse, I'm a sucker for a pretty face. When I came out of the bedroom in clean clothes, Mouse was sitting hopefully on the hopefully by the door. He batted a paw at his leash, which hung over the doorknob. I started and said, You ain't pretty for a face. But I clipped a leash to his collar and called for a cab. <laughs> And this is more, I read this, but this is more of a, like, happy quote. On a good day, the neighborhood made me made you feel like there was hope for us as a species, that we could drive back the darkness with enough will and faith and help. And then Molly was arrested. Possession. I blinked at him. She was possessed? <laughs> I did like that reaction. Again, like it's like, one, not super realistic because no. the way he phrases it, but I just... Don't, I don't care. It still- doesn't, doesn't matter. Still yeah. enjoyed it. <laughs> I love it. And the last one is have sword, will travel, hi ho, or hi yo, silver away. <laughs> I just appreciated those. They make me happy. Uh huh. I got, uh, but he's a sweet guy, Harry. There isn't a violent bone in his body, <clears throat> which emphasized to me just how young Molly really was. There are violent bones in everyone's body, if you look deep enough. About 206 of them. <laughs> cynical but good yeah but we appreciate some cynicism over oh, here on uh, the podcast that the podcast was on fire we do in fact a hired gun would do everything he could to stay invisible preferably until several hours after i was cold and dead of course he could be trying reverse psychology i supposed but that kind of circular reasoning could trigger a paranoia gasm and drive me loopy fast <laughs> And then the last one, when he's, when he's arguing with Molly about whether he can not make fun of stuff. And he says, I started to get annoyed, but was struck by the disturbing thought that if I did, I would be coming down on the same side of the situation as charity, <laughs> which might be one of the signs of the apocalypse. I love that. 
Oh, goodness gracious. Good stuff. Ah, man. So a good chunk here. Like I said, not too long. A little bit yikesy there. We'll see how that goes. And, you know, good little action set piece there as as they uh, finished up the section. And as we finish up our section, you got to get us a crackpot theory of the week. Oh, hell yes. Okay. So I talked about this earlier where Molly had similar attributes to the the summer lady. And I think she's going to get herself ingrained with the fucking fairies one way or another. There's just so many elements of her where it's just like they where she can tell the truth, but not tell it the whole way where <laughs> she's manipulative of people who care about her and how she just kind of looks and like bats her eyes. And I'm like, she's she's she is a fae in waiting. 100% she's going to get involved with the fairies. Don't know how, don't know where, but there. I feel okay. like... I know, Besi- besides the knights, have we seen anyone be able to? I guess Elaine was sort of tw- twisted up with them as well. She did. So I don't know how okay. that's going to work. Okay. Like I said, this is just, this is this is the crackpot part of the crackpot theory. Deal. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, but the thing too is like, so going along that line, it's like, do we know if a mortal can get involved in fairies? But here's the thing. Her father has some sort of special energy, power, that he's able to wield the sword of the cross, and he is one of the knights of the cross. So I feel like she, again, again, everybody's parentage is questionable in this book, in this novel series. Maybe she has some, you know, somewhere back in her lineage where she's got something going on back there. Maybe she's got some fey blood in her. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, we're crackpots. We're adding we're to the list of people who aren't human, and I'm okay with it. Uh, well, and the other thing that the other thing that even our cats aren't cats. Sorry, carry no, on. no, not never. But the thing about so like with mouse growling at her, uh huh. So mouse only growls at things that cause danger and things that are supernatural. I don't feel like Molly's dangerous. I feel like there might be some super supernatural energy in there, though. Yeah, we, he's definitely. And, and Harry obviously points it out, but that is yeah. certainly of note because Mouse does not react to basically anything except, you know, scritches. So scritches and bad guys. Also, Mouse is not a dog. So this is That's true. this is basically the plot of Transformers original series. Nothing is what they seem. <laughs> and they're fighting, the a war on, they're fighting a war on Earth that gets humans caught in the middle. So. <laughs> Everything is I know. Yeah, I, I dig know. It. I dig this it. is what happens when you give me um, free reign on just conspiracy theory and crackpot theories. Make I'm sure you can... have crackpot theories about other aspects of life, so it's all good. <laughs> There's going to be a run on tinfoil here if we continue to <laughs> just make sure you guys are well stocked in case there's another pandemic. I oh, love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm oh, a lot. Good stuff. Oh, right. Um, Beyond that, I appreciate y'all. Last week when the pod first went out for the Patreons, there was like a 40-second gap at one point. Who knows? Obviously, it was Lissy's fault somehow. (laughs) But who knows? It is obviously fixed by now. Everyone should have heard. But I also fixed the Patreon URL. So now it's patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire, which is exciting. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. And I even had the capitalization wrong at one point, but I fixed that even. So we're we're in business. These are the things I care about. So anyone who good signs up over there, you are spectacular and awesome and wonderful. Anyone who just downloads us, well, you're spectacular and wonderful. We love y'all. We'll talk about the awesome later. 
Um, you can earn that awesome badge by doing your homework. Make sure you just tell one person, tell somebody about us. Mm-hmm. That would be great. We just love seeing it. And if not, that's okay too. We love you just the way you are. Be our neighbor. Beyond that, another good section. We're going to go another six chapters next week. It continues to pick up here. We just got a big action scene with some monsters and there's some good ones. One of my uh, favorite interactions is coming up just like, or one of my favorite throwaway lines, I guess I'll say is coming up in one of the next couple sections. So I'll leave it to the uh, listeners to guess what it is, but it's just some fun stuff. So thanks, Ice. I appreciate you. Happy Halloween, everyone. I hope you were safe and hearty. Or if you weren't, I hope you're back at home and the fines weren't too high by now. So <laughs> anything else before you get out of here? Uh, no. Yeah, hit us up on all the things. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. All the socials. We love you. We'll see you next week. We appreciate you. And I have been Josh. And I am Melissa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Also, I won two of my fantasy football leagues this week. Only two. I had a five. I'm batting 500. Actually, no, I won three. Just kidding. I won my Taylor Swift yeah, too. I went one and one. But I finally Str- won in your game. I'm struggling in the oh, league. Just that kidding. I've... I lost during Monday Night Football. The but league I... that I'm back-to-back champion, of which I know none of the people. I was invited, and then the guy that I got invited for got kicked out a year later. Oops. Yeah, I lost on Monday Night Football in my Taylor League. But I won your league and I won my uh, Gaucho League. I really want to win the Gaucho League because I really want bar t-shirts from all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd like to win yours too, but I'm not anywhere near there on that one. It's a little kitty. Um, Mm -hmm. Like 600 bucks or something like that, I think. No, 500 bucks? Four or five. Either way, I I won that league in the regular season last year and then got fourth place in playoffs, so I didn't win anything. After, and last year it was 14 people so like it was a fucking grind yeah and i won the regular season got the one seed and then like had a shit week oh that sucks and uh so this year i made if you win the if you win the regular season you get 100 you get your money back you get <laughs> i changed the rules uh yeah didn't yeah, do I'm it on the fly right now in that league so <laughs> uh, six i think make playoffs so i had like i lost four in a row so but it's really tightly packed all right uh so happy halloween